This is Cinema Roundtable. My name's Jake, and today I'm joined by Jared. Yep, right here. Erica. Thanks for having me again. And Bo. I'm also right here. Everyone is right <laughs> here, and I always get really excited for this time of year because it is top 10 time. So in today's episode, we're going to be going through and we're going to be talking about our top 10 films from the year. We're also going to be talking about a few films that we missed, as well as some honorable mentions. And it's just going to be great. I love when we do this because we just get to see... Um, what everybody was kind of vibing on this year. and what, what, what all are you most excited for? Are, are you all excited to just hear everybody else's picks, to share your own, see any crossover, or find any disagreements? I, I'm looking for a, a Teton moment yeah. like yeah, we did last year. A surprise. Where everyone just goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> because everyone is either in collective surprise that it was going to turn up on their list or just... I don't know, the the ridiculousness of a movie like that making it into a top ten. So it was your number one last <laughs> it was, year. It so was, yeah. yeah, my number four or something. Did, was it on it. your list which too? One, which one was it? Teton. No. Oh gosh, no. No. That was <laughs> that was one that I like jotted down like, I know I need to watch this. Yeah, I think both of us were like, Oh, we've been wanting to yes. watch this movie yes. and then when you yeah. brought it up, you freaked out. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, you um, gasped. Yeah, it, yeah, it was pretty great. great. <laughs> In my mind, I've always pronounced it differently, so I'm sitting here and you said a Teton Mountain. I'm like, what is that? Teton Mountain? I, like, I think we, we went through a pronunciation course last time in the last episode I because remember, we kept saying different things well i remember going to google around that time that movie was popular you know making its way through quote like, unquote popular <laughs> yes when people were watching it on hulu right when it hit hulu i searched it on google i was like how do you just you know t-tan pronunciation and the voice on google was like D-tan. With a D-tan. strong French accent. So I was like, I'm going with that. I, I mean, I always just figured it was Titan. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. It looks like that. Yeah. But it's it's fine. But that was last year. That now was. it's time for 2022. So I'd say we just get right into it. Jared? How's everybody feeling about their list, though? Like, uh, mine's an amorphous blob that could change tomorrow. Yeah, Ooh. I mean, that's kind of how I am, too. But I... I like especially my top three, they're basically a tie for the number one spot, but I just had to rank them somehow. Yeah, I, I feel like I've watched most of the movies that I would want mm. to see, mm. or at least the ones that I think that have a relatively strong potential to make it into my top ten. Um, but I, I, I was, I was kind of just wondering, and, and Bo, you can share too. But I was also wondering how you all felt about this year in film in general. Mm. If you felt like it was a strong year or if it was a struggle to kind of be like, oh, this movie, like maybe this movie in a nor in a different year is a little bit higher than I would think it would be if it was a stronger year or vice versa. Sure. Well, filmmaking and the film industry really took a hit in 2020 and 2021. And I think in 2022, it was harder to catch up on all the things I wanted to see and right. I am very happy about all these movies on my list. I love all these movies on my list. Um, I could see many of them staying on my list for a long time, but there are so many films I still have yet to see. We'll mention those later. Mm -hmm. um, but I think 2022, answering your question, was like the year when movies really started to show that they're coming back um, as far as output and quantity and quality, for sure, just because of what yeah. filmmakers were allowed to do again. Mm -hmm. Both, and I think... 
independent and wide release. I think I think the big blockbuster movies, which we'll probably talk about a couple of them, really shine a light on people going back to the theaters and, and stuff like that. But then also it's a lot of smaller independent films and those types of things that really stood out as well. Erica, what about you? Uh, for the, the type of movies I like, it was a strong year. Very strong year. I would agree. And that will be reflected in my yes, list. Spoiler same, alert. Same here. There's probably only one thing in my top 10 list that may be a bit of a surprise to people. And it's the one I'm getting out of the way first. Okay. Okay. And Jared? Yeah, I would definitely say it was a pretty darn good rebound year in general for movies. Uh, I'd probably say this is maybe like the second or third year in a row where like anything could have been my number one. Like I don't feel like ultimately that strong about it. I love all these movies and I'm a little, you know, heartbroken that some fell outside of the the, the top 10. But uh, as far as just confidence in that, like that is my number one mm-hmm. clear winner. Yeah, I'm not there with necessarily any of these, mm-hmm. but uh, still, still, still glad. So. Well, good. Well, Jared, why don't you start us off then? Why don't you start with your number ten? And this is like the shakiest start for me because, like, I just looking at like the <laughs> list of 10. movies. I know, I know. And this is uh, all right. So it's not going to be the last time this guy pops up in my top ten because this guy had an amazing year. Who do you think? Who do you think I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Jake? Are you referring to Mr. Ty West? Uh no. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I'm talking of an actor who had a bit of a hat trick oh, year. This oh. is Mr. Mr. Colin Farrell. Okay. And oh. This is maybe a surprise, but at number ten, I'm actually going Thirteen Lives, okay. the Ron Howard Amazon original movie about the young boys soccer team in Thailand that gets stuck in the cave, and the rescue efforts that went into getting them out, and. I'll be honest, you know, knowing that story, I mean, you know, we were all alive and I mean, Mm -hmm. so much of that happened in real time just with social media and the news coverage. But there was still so much of that story that I didn't know necessarily the extraordinary risks they took not only with their lives, but with the boys' lives in getting them out of there. That was remarkable. And you just, you know, the main characters played by Colin Farrell, Viggo Mortensen and Joel Edgerton. Holy cow. I mean, yeah, it's, you, you couldn't ask for like some better actors there. The first 30 minutes were a bit on shaky ground for me. Just again, knowing the story and figuring, well, you know, you kind of know how this is going to play out. I thought they were going to go for some different beats. So those first 30 minutes, I was like, I don't know if I'm like super into this, but the boys get stuck. The rescue efforts are underway and you truly are with the rescuers, the movie and the weight of it all on them. Just trying to figure this out, knowing like the clock is ticking. It affected me, and Mm. yeah, here I am, like, middle-aged, third child coming along, like, everything triggers me at this point. So, yep, 13 lives, they all made it out. Um, Gosh, you know, it's one of those things, it's like, it's not. Put the bumper in on the edit (laughs) for this Let let, let me just say it this way, it's called 13 lives, not 13 deaths. That's that's That's, true. Yeah, there you go. For a movie that's, that was Ron Howard with a, a... pretty famous cast kind of under the radar it's i was gonna totally. say is amazon dropping the ball with this film because you're you can, like you one of the few the people i've heard talk about it you can, you can make the case for all these streamers that just like get these like kind of could be high profile projects and mm-hmm. don't know what to do with them or how to yeah. market them they're all kind of in this weird yeah like nexus nebulous state of like you know we've got this content it could be good it could be great but whatever we'll just put it on our platform and see see what happens that's why we have this podcast to to inform the general public <laughs> of great films that they may have missed 
this is my mom's slot. This is like the movie that oh. I'd be like, hey, you know what, mom? You want to feel good? Like, let's watch this movie. Wasn't King like, Richard what? that last year yes. for you? Yeah, I, think yeah. So. I remember. Yeah. I was just going to say, <laughs> I think King Richard was yeah. that for I like you. that you have a yeah. slot for that. That's oh, all. Oh, yeah. I still curate my mom's Netflix uh, list. Oh. She, just, uh, she just watched uh, The Departed. I put her oh, through no, Casino wow. and Goodfellas not too long ago. Oh it was a rough. Ooh, I mean, my gosh. Violent. I thought yeah. I thought I was going to get disowned at the Your age of 39. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but she came around, she watched The Departed, and I think she actually enjoyed it. Nice. Anyways, there we go. Speaking of movies, it would probably be on your mom's list, Erica. Segway. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, um, my top ten list is also going to get off to a wobbly start, kind of like a newborn kitten walking for the first time. Um but might be a surprise that it's even on my list. I am talking about Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Oh, wow. nice. You. Yeah. Um, and I'm. this is... Uh, so strictly horror films again this year. <laughs> ah, in your face, Jake. This is totally a mom movie. <laughs> I know. See, I knew it all along. So, yeah, I, I very rarely watch um, animated films and kids fil- kid-friendly movies. And so this was not at all high on my list of films to watch, but... Uh, my uh, my best friend who has like a, a son who's like I think about 10 years old now um, was with him over the holidays so it's like we have to find a movie we can watch together because it wasn't the typical night where his son was with his mom instead uh, so it's like well this movie does have cats and I love cats <laughs> so it's like hey do you want to see that so Anyway, I was very pleasantly surprised by this film, as I was with a handful of other kind of kid-friendly movies like the Lego movie and Megamind. I ended up loving those, and I didn't think I would. Um, But, yeah, like Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, I think is better than the original because then I had to go stream the original one afterward. With Humpty Dumpty. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It has just, like, beautiful animation. Um, But, like, my favorite thing about it is the writing has, like, some really great character development, uh, especially the main character, like Puss is initially very like kind of narcissistic and arrogant. And then he gets taken down several notches by different life events. And it also has some like some moments of dark humor that um, older kids and adults will appreciate. But some like, well, there's one joke in there that's so dark. It's like, how is this in a kid's movie? Um, <laughs> but like my, yeah, my friend and I were, were, cracking up um i i probably i don't really want to spoil it but and then my friend had me watch some of like the the series version on netflix and it's like yeah i guess they do throw in some dark moments like one episode had a reference to the stephen king story misery um and then they they like mm-hmm. had threw in a twist where it became kind of innocent but it's like it's like wow that is like a great joke for adults so mm-hmm. uh, a yep. sequel yeah. like eleven years in the making. Yeah, it's incredible. yeah, it is like a very delayed sequel, but yeah, I think it's it's better than the first one, and, honestly. And, and everyone that I've heard that has seen it has only positive things to say about it. It's so hey, shortlisted and nominated best animated feature. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll that was one it. of the big surprises of this year is just seeing the reaction from that. You look at that and you think, oh, it's just you know more animated, yeah. you know, garbage mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. It was incredible seeing all the positive, mm-hmm. you know, reviews from critics on Twitter. Like the weekend it premiered, I was like, "Wow, okay, this is on my radar now." Yeah. Okay. There you go. And it's doing well at the box office. So there you go. As, That's what they want. As well as at home, but. All right. Well, Bo, 
what mom movie do you have as your number 10? It's funny that you ask what mom movie I have on my list. Uh, little wink, wink, nudge, nudge here. My go. number 10 is Barbarian. Ooh, hey, the I ultimate don't... mom movie. I don't think this I'm is not Or the ultimate mama this. movie. I will not be expounding any further on what the connection of that is. But um, I don't watch as many horror films as all of you probably but I do try to catch some every year, and 2022 had a lot of great mm-hmm. horror films. I can't deny that. Um, Barbarian is one of the few that I saw. I saw it around Halloween. One of the one of the great Halloween offerings that was on my watch list this year. Um, it's full of surprises. This is Zach Krager's horror debut. And not his not his feature. Not his nice feature. feature debut, no, as much as he debut. wants to make it seem like it's yes. his. Hey, I saw Miss March. And I it, wish I didn't. It's R.I.P. Yeah. Trevor Moore and Whitest Kids a, You Know. It's kind but, of a mulligan for Zach yeah. Kroger in that way. And the movie starts and you think it's about Georgina Campbell's character and Bill Skarsgård's character. And you're like, oh, I've seen this kind of movie before. I can kind of like predict what will happen. You really can't. And um, although this movie eventually reveals its full hand and it has ideas from other horror films, I think the filmmaking in Barbarian is so incredible. Uh, It has great production design. Uh, The way the camera is placed in a lot of environments really helps the viewer get invested in the storytelling in a way that just has so much, you know, attention to detail and that I appreciated, um, uh, you know, seeing so many other horror films recently that don't do that as well. So yeah, Barbarian is great. Uh, I, it has stuck with me since I saw it around Halloween. So yeah. Did awesome. you see it on HBO Max? Um, yes, I did. I think that's it when, premiered around that. It did, yeah. yeah. That's, and that's when, when I watched I, it too. That's when a lot of people saw it, yeah. I had to sit here and listen to everybody else talk about it where I was days away from seeing it myself <laughs> and mm-hmm. just the ultimate tease. But yeah, again, I don't think that'll be the last time we talk about that movie. I don't think so either. Uh, so that'll bring me to my number 10. and Your mom movie. My I'm Mine is actually a dad movie. Uh, my number ten is the whale. Hey yo. Um. So this this is if this is the Darren Aronofsky film starring Brendan Fraser and Fraser. Sing- Fraser. Yes. Like Razor, it, as he has exactly said. How he says it. In <laughs> the actor to actor, him and um, Adam Sandler, I think he talks about it. Yep. Uh, but also with Sadie Sink and Hong Chow. Um. This movie just emotionally affected me so strongly. Um, There are definite flaws in it. Um, For all who don't know it, it's about a a very obese man who is basically just, he can't go anywhere. He can barely even move. And he is trying to reconnect with his estranged daughter after leaving, essentially abandoning his family. Um, And he is aided by his personal nurse who you find out kind of where their relationship comes from in Hong Chow. Um, this is probably my favorite performance of the year though with, uh, Brennan Fraser, but also Hong Chow. I think Hong Chow is fantastic. I'm so glad that she's getting recognition for this film. Slight tangent. I miss, I obviously I wasn't on the menu episode. Mm-hmm. Did you all talk about her in the menu at all? I listened to that episode recently, yeah, and you talked about the tortilla scene. The yeah, tortilla okay. scene. I'll just, spoiler alerts, 
we will talk more about that film okay. later, so we can get into in it. In the yeah. movies you Hung missed, Chow, right? Hung Chow. Yeah, in, she's amazing. in the movies I'm <laughs> that were in my dishonorable mention. <laughs> yes. No, I hated our bo- bottom ten. Yeah, bottom ten. That, that would be a fun podcast. Oh, our bottom ten. Yeah. I would like we to believe to that, that I try to stay away from the films that I think would fall in my bottom ten. Yeah. But either way, going back to the whale, though. Um, I know that Darren Aronofsky is kind of divisive. He's very heady. He does a lot of things that... Heady, but also the least subtle guy in the room. And that's the thing. I think he thinks he's a lot smarter than he actually is, or at least a lot more... He's... I don't know. I don't want to slander him too much, because he has made a lot of good films. I mean, I think... Like Mother. (laughs) Mother, I mean... That's a very divisive film there. But I mean, The Fountain and Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan, Wrestler. on my mom's list. There you go. <laughs> I was about um, to say But I just think that the, the chemistry that you see between the characters and just the emotional weight that that we're able to get from these characters and just the – I mean, it's base, it's one set and it's basically like five characters – and that's it. Not and you can tell that it's a stage a play. play. Yes, exactly. exactly. Um, but I will say it's not for everybody. There's some really hammy thing, or just I don't, I don't really know how to describe it without getting into spoilers about it. But but it it just really stuck with me, and um, that's my number ten. I uh, this was the last movie I thought I was going to be checking off on my list to see, and it, I saw it yesterday. Immediately after that, I went to a memorial. Um, some friends, their father passed away, a man who I just mm-hmm. spent an evening with just a couple weeks ago. Mm. So yeah, that movie, and it is the performance. Yeah. It's Brendan Fraser's it, performance. It's so affecting. Like, yeah, I was, I was a bit of a mess yesterday. And, and not to get into it, but, um, I did lose my father in November. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing that really resonated with me as well. Yeah. So that also probably played into it. Um, but before... <laughs> Instead of getting into that, we'll just move on to our number nine. <laughs> yep. All right. So, and I just, yeah, Brendan Fraser, he's got these eyes. They're almost like, they're almost like cartoon like in how like big they are. And yeah. Sometimes just so much emotion comes from that guy's, yeah. And it's just ocularly. great to see him around too. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. He, he is winning the award. Uh, cycle or whatever you want to call it because yeah. he's just so likable and he's on like the so grateful interview press junket for the film and then also just for the awards and mm-hmm. he's so humble and mm-hmm. he treats his fellow nominees so well it's mm-hmm. so great to see him just exude all this positivity out into the world really yeah it. yeah i mean between um him and um uh key key kwan yeah yeah yeah, the, yeah the two of them and both them as indiv- individuals, but then when they are together mm-hmm. as well, the Encino Man reunion yes. is it's it's been very heartwarming, and I wish them both the most success. So, uh, yeah, Jared, what's your number nine? Uh, this I I just took way too much delight in this movie, and it's the unbearable weight of massive talent. Nick Love Cage it. at his most cagiest. It's just Pedro Pascal being yeah, so likable, and in a comedy from last year that worked for me. No thanks to you, Judd Apatow's The Bubble. But, uh, I mean, and that was brought up on a previous pod, too. Yes. Uh, But you've got comedy heavyweights in there Tiffany Haddish, like Ike Barinholtz, and Neil Patrick Harris, just, you know, rounding out just a a terrific cast. But 
specifically the drug scene with Nick Cage and Pedro uh, Pascal is just, <laughs> or it's 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 so darn funny. Mm-hmm. I just think about that and a smile comes to my face. And like Nick Cage, yeah, just like vamping against himself in several scenes, owning up to his reputation, and like also like defending himself too. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. And it is a celebration of everything he's given to us. And I think it's it's poking fun at him without being exploitative, right. with which is yeah. what a lot of filmmakers do with him nowadays, and, and to varying degrees of success. Yep. Um, I mean, obviously, I well, not obviously, but last year, uh, Pig was in my top ten. Yeah. Completely different side of Nicolas Cage, but it's it's good to see him be able to be in these quality projects that are actually mm-hmm. well-received and for the right reasons, in my opinion, too. Yeah. Uh, the director, Tom Gormican, uh, just, not much of a – like, he's been doing stuff. Like, he had, a, like, a romantic comedy, that awkward moment with, uh, like, Miles Teller mm-hmm. and uh, – Michael B. Jordan, Michael B. I think, Jordan, is in it. Yes. Yeah. Things like that. So this guy ha- also co-wrote and has a huge affection, like most of us kids from, like, the 80s and 90s yeah. do for Nick Cage. So – I, I really appreciate it, and I did. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Awesome. Erica, you're uh, number nine. I am going with Smile, directed by Parker Finn. Nice. Mm. Um, this is a another film I had low expectations of, maybe because the trailer reminded me too much of Truth or Dare, which that, that other movie yes. with creepy smiling people. Fortunately, it's nothing like that. Um I will say that Smile has a very like boilerplate script about a contagious curse, you know, kind of like The Ring and similar it movies. Follows. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and like so in most instances a movie with like a boilerplate script would not make it to my top 10 list. However, there's just so much care put into little details in this movie, the production design, uh sound design, color scheme, um there, like just little little details in the background, pieces of art. It's just um, it ends up being like very emotionally effective, and the performances are very solid. Um, so it, this this whole like all of this added up to create this very creepy atmosphere, and it made the film very effective. And it's another film that's also timely because a lot of it's also about the marginalization of people with mental illnesses. And the failure of the existing mental health uh, healthcare system uh, for helping these people. So it's like, yeah, it's it's not necessarily a social message film, but there's that element to it as well that is also kind of thought provoking. Yeah, yeah. I I have not seen it yet, so I uh, I I rented it as soon as I could. Redbox. Only to realize. Only yeah. (laughs) I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know how much more I'm going to be standing on my red box to, uh, to uh, look at the dad know, over there. <laughs> Full dad mode. I got a third kid coming on. I got to like sharpen these skills over yeah. here. Yeah. But uh, three kids, I don't think you're doing enough. Uh, there we go. Well, here's the thing. Each I, each one on our list, you need to have a different joke. <laughs> <I know. show. laughs> It'll be five hours I long. Got, I get home with smile ready to go. And I'm like, I should check to see if it's on a streamer by chance. And I've got a free year of Epics, which now just currently changed to MGM Plus, and it had just dropped on there. I was like, "Oh, cool! I could have just course. stayed home and watched it for free." Nice. You know what? You're supporting Redbox, that small a dime, business. A dime, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're 
fewer and fewer of in my neighborhood. So you I'm trekking a little too far for my own my own taste. But anyways, smile. Yes, I thought I I'm so happy. Uh, it put a smile on my face that this movie made over a hundred million dollars because wow, horror nice. horror seems to be like a genre that is has definitely come back and is there and is kind of creating old, like new IP. Yeah, I feel like horror and animation are kind of box office like pretty consistent. Like regardless of what the budgets are. There's always going to be those people that want to see those types of films. And mm-hmm. so it is nice to see ones that are like that, that are kind of that medium. Because it wasn't a high-budget film, but it's also yeah. not a micro-budget type of movie, too. So, I mean, I all I've heard is good things from it, though. So. Yeah, some fun marketing stunts yeah, uh, like, over the summer. Professional mm-hmm. sports games of people just, like, standing and, yeah. like, smiling and camera zooming <laughs> It's great. So what other movie can it. tout that kind of a strategy, you yeah, know, for right. getting the word out about it? For your movie. sure. That's so fun. And it's so simple. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Simple and effective. Simple effective. But okay. Well, Bo, number nine. My number nine is the other big Hong Chow film from the year, The Menu. All right. Uh, so you. See, I was actually talking about your list when I said we're going <laughs> to talk oh, about it later. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta, yeah. I should, yeah. Alley oop there. Um, <laughs> so I listened to your episode about The Menu actually. Earlier today, I needed to catch up on Cinema Roundtable, and so um, I had the time, uh, I had the hour to listen to the episode, and I agree with a lot of the positive things you had to say about it. Um, I think it is just a really fascinating mystery um, about um, how people devote their lives to a craft and how they become the best at it in the world, and yet... Uh, you know, it might be their passion that they're born with, and yet they still have they still have many frustrations with it. They still have to put up with all of the snobby critics, um, all of the culture surrounding their hobby or their craft that ruins it for them. And it's sort of just an untanglement of what all that means. Um, yeah, all the courses in the menu have something surprising. You think the movie's going to be about cannibalism. It doesn't have any of that. It has a lot of other crazy things, though. A lot of crazy things I couldn't have predicted. Um, And you have all these, like, caricatures Mm -hmm. of characters. You have, you know, Nicholas Holt playing the snobby, (laughs) like, fake Mm -hmm. critic who actually doesn't know anything, and he just is kind of lacking an identity, and he's globbing onto whatever, you know. He's just awe-inspired uh, by Ray Fine's character, um, who himself reminded me of like an Anton Ego sort of character from Ratatouille, but mm-hmm. in chef form. He's on the other side um, of the of the kitchen. And so I, I just found all the characters to be super fascinating. I found all the surprises to be really effective. Yeah. Great film. Listen to our episode for yes. more. If I could have been there for that episode, the only thing I would have added is my biggest uh, moment of glee followed by my biggest criticism of the movie was uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. She gives a shout out to my hometown saying she's from Grand Island, Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. Only to retract it when she re- you know, yeah. under you. She might actually be from like Massachusetts and so I was like oh come on. I hate like noise in a movie theater but I audibly went, ah, when, <laughs> yes. when she said Grand Island, Nebraska. Yeah. So I didn't see it in a theater. I saw it at home on HBO on Max HBO, again. Yeah. Yeah. And I did the same thing. I was Shout like, oh, HBO Max. I, did the, I did the Leonardo DiCaprio meme of like pointing <laughs> at the screen. Yep. I was doing that in Perfect. my home. 
Yeah. See, we're we're shifting from Redbox to HBO Max. That's oh, our, that's our preferred okay. Service here. Sounds so. good. Well, uh, yeah. Listen to the to our episode, um, and maybe it'll get brought up later too. Um, my number nine is the Robert Zemeckis Pinocchio. Just kidding. It's not that one. <laughs> oh my God. Um, it's actually the Pauly Shore. Pinocchio. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's yeah, the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio. Um, obviously, when you're dealing with someone like Guillermo del Toro, you have kind of an idea of what stylistically you're about to to see. But I was not anticipating how dour and dark of an adaptation this was going to be. Um, it's it's just kind of clouded by. Uh, fascist Italy and World War One and all of the the turmoil that is happening there, and just kind of the it, it, it's it's a great metaphor for kind of being a puppet for other people mm-hmm. too. You see the military trying to use uh, Pinocchio in a certain way. You see um, this kind of freak show carnival character played by Christoph Waltz, who's great, using him as kind of something, and then you've also got just like his normal purpose with Geppetto and and just kind of seeing him getting pulled in different directions. And I just loved um, all the things about it with, with the storytelling, with the animation style, with just the different directions that were unusual from the normal uh, storyline that you see with different Pinocchio adaptations. Um, I will also say that this was... Um, this was written by uh, with Guillermo, but also Patrick McHale, who did Over the Garden Wall. Oh, um, so something else to kind of give you an idea of kind of narrative structure. And also, this movie takes turns that you wouldn't expect, especially the end. Um, and just kind of the conclusion that this movie reaches, um, which I won't get into spoilers, but I would definitely highly recommend. Uh, this is a Netflix film. So yeah, the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio. Yeah. I refuse to show my kids this, yeah, I, abomination that is Zemeckis and Hanks is uh, <laughs> Pinocchio. But yeah, where does where does Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio fall as far as kid friendly goes? It's not like violent or like crass or anything like that. But just the themes are way more in your mm. face when it comes to like the darkness. Okay, so I don't know if I would say. A lot of those things might go over a small child's head, um, but I will say that it's the animation is not what you would anticipate for a, for a ch- kids film. I mean, it is a stop motion film, so there is kind of that janky kind of thing to it. And Pinocchio being kind of a crude puppet, like in that his his design is not this cute puppet exterior that you see in the original Disney film or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot more rough around the edges. I think that a, a child could still enjoy it, but it's definitely not geared, I would say, specifically for children. Yeah, I got to see this the other night, and uh, I agree with that. It is, um, so Pinocchio is an innocent character, you know, mm-hmm. is a happy character, wants to see the world uh, for all the good that's in it. But it's a pretty joyless film. It's there's there's not a lot of laughter to be had when yeah. you're watching it. You know, right. um, Guillermo del Toro did this like 30 minute documentary of how the film was made. You can watch on Netflix too. And in it, he says, "This is a movie that I'm making that I wish I had as as a kid 
But you have to look at, you have to remember, like, Guillermo del Toro has a certain mind that mm, most children to, don't have. Right. Um, he probably also thinks Pan's Labyrinth is for kids, too, right? right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so he wanted to make a movie for himself uh, as a kid and as an adult, like a movie that he'd like to watch throughout his whole life. This isn't a Robert Rodriguez, Shark Boy, and Lava Girl situation. Yeah, no. Where he yeah. wanted to make one for kids type it of is, thing. It is heavy. There's a lot okay. of heaviness. Uh, yeah, in the story. and would you agree about the ending? Yes. Like, uh, yeah, the the ending. I won't say anything. Yeah, else don't that you didn't just say, but, watch yeah. it if you're interested. I also just before we move on, I wanted to shout out David Bradley, um, who plays Geppetto. He is just in the wings of every movie that I've ever seen him in. So it was really fun to see him have a lead role and yes. if you are inspired casting choice yeah and if you're unfamiliar with him now i'm totally blanking but i wanted to pull him up um he plays uh filch in the harry potter films so yep, the groundskeeper the groundskeeper yep. so somebody i always remember him from hot fuzz he's the guy who can't you can't <laughs> yeah. understand what he's saying oh, that, the guy that you can't understand even more what he's saying not the um, but yeah, just, I want to shout out him. I mean, all of the casting is really good in it though. Yeah. The, um, the craft on display with the stop motion is incredible. We're, we're at the point where if you, I mean, this took apparently a thousand days of, of animation by a team of dozens and dozens mm-hmm. of animators, top class stop motion animators from around the world. And we're at the point now where when you have that many people doing something for that long, you get a movie that looks so seamless that it looks like a traditionally like CG mm-hmm. animated Agreed. film. Incredible. It's incredible. It, it's, None of these it's people are from good. Leica. I don't believe. Is, I don't. I don't. I don't know. believe so. It's. I don't think it's from a studio. Unless someone left, jumped studios. But sure. yeah, they're yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, that's my number nine. Let's move on to our number eights. Uh, clocking in at number eight is uh, an up-and-coming director. Somehow this is his 35th <laughs> movie he's done. Uh, Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. Just caught this. Here's the thing. I don't. I you know as many movies as I love by Steven Spielberg, I don't know how many have actually like, and maybe I just need to like revisit some of them like Schindler's List as far as like give me that emotional wallop that I was probably incapable of when I saw it at such a young age. But uh, this one, you know, him sharing basically it's his life story. I'm sorry, this is just it should be called the Spielbergs, but. You know, him sharing his love of movies, where they came from, how it came about. But um, also just, you know, dealing with, you know, kind of the family trauma and having a pretty, pretty darn affecting divorcing, being a, you know, child of divorce myself, you know, that there's some stuff in there that rang awfully true for me. Definitely far from my favorite Spielberg movie or anything like that, but I really appreciate that, uh, you know, Steven is, you know, making things personal still, you know, the first part of his career, especially like late seventies, early eighties, it was all about like, you know, father abandonment issues and things like that. And here he is like dealing with it head head on and still showing the joy of like movie making that I can certainly relate to uh, as well. But, uh, you know, in all honesty, I'll probably revisit the uh, documentary called Spielberg from a handful of years ago because there was a part of me watching this movie. I'm like, I don't think we're going to get to see him like really flourish in his career. And I just, you know, watching that documentary, I couldn't wait till he started talking about the movies that I loved and how they were made and that sort of a thing and the personal touches behind them. So, yeah, for me, it's probably isn't quite as... uh, 
uh, intriguing or interesting as just, you know, Spielberg, the documentary itself, but it's still well done. Pretty good performances. He found some kids that, geez, I mean, that uh, the, the actor who plays like his teenage version is a kind of a dead ringer for like a young Spielberg. But uh, it also has like probably one of my favorite like Paul Dano performances in it, probably because it's pretty dialed down. And it's just nice to see him hit some different notes and still, you know, work as well on screen. So nice. I didn't see this yet. Uh, minor spoiler for my list. I'm curious if anybody else did, though. Uh, also, minor spoiler. <laughs> also on my did not see list. Okay, so uh, it, it, this was a film that I was a little bit and still am apprehensive about. I definitely will see it because it's. Spielberg, it's probably the front runner to win Best Picture. Yeah. Um, but I look at a film and it says, oh, it's Steven Spielberg making a movie about himself. making movies and himself. Like That was a big theme this year. Yeah, because yeah, we got Interatu doing it as well yeah. with Bardo. Yeah, and I'm just I, – I, it's one of those things where I'm like, this is one that I have an idea of what it would be. Now, obviously, the positive reception is – I mean, it's Spielberg. I yeah. mean, he's he can make a film. He knows yeah. how to he knows how to craft he it. He knows his way around. He, he does, and it, so there were just other ones that I was maybe a little bit more intrigued on that I got to before this one. But yeah. um, maybe I'll change my tune more uh, once I finally see it. And as far as it, yeah, being the front runner, I think you're right, but I don't know how I feel, I feel like about the front that. runners at this point always tend to lose momentum, though. By the time we mm, get to actual yeah. award night, I mean, who would have thought? I mean. Coda was not in contention. I don't think at this point last year. I don't even remember what the front runner so. was, but I keep hearing everything everywhere all at once. I mean, it's the it. it's I the know. leader in nominations, but right. I I'm still apprehensive that the stuffy Academy would choose a movie that ridiculous. But we'll see. <laughs> I, I I I mean, Parasite was Parasite. also very strange. I yeah. So I feel like Spielberg probably will take director, but picture could go to something like Everything Everywhere All at Once. Well, well, we'll, we'll just have to see. Yeah. I have to admit, I'm I'm apprehensive of any Spielberg movie. It's since too or ter- always. Pretty much or since always. What, Sorry. what, what? <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was a late 80s movie of his, called oh. Always. So. Okay, well, yeah, the only the only one of his um, projects I revisited recently was Twilight Zone, the movie, and that film was so bad it literally killed people. I, I know. That That's has a quite the one to go some... back into. I know. Now, he didn't direct all of that. Oh, I know, he didn't. He talked to John Landis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other. Yes. But yeah, for people who want to learn more about that horrible incident, there's a great book that delves in to like excruciating detail about that that whole accident and the cover-up called Fly by Night. You can check that out. Anyway, that's nowhere near my top 10 list of anything other than maybe top 10 worst film disasters on every level. It's fair. Uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so okay, what about you? So I guess <laughs> is this my a number film disaster? eight is a less terrifying than a Spielberg movie. I'm talking about Crimes of the Future by David Cronenberg. And that was his first uh, film in nearly a decade. And it's definitely a return to form, you know, before he... Some kind of quote-unquote form. Yes, his final form. Uh, But, you know, before he made a lot of pompous mainstream films that kind of sucked. Throwing shade at David Cronenberg. Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, Crimes of the Future is kind of pompous, but I would say it does not suck. It's just a little confounding in certain areas, but you totally worth the You could also apply some of what she just said to the Fablemans. Okay, <laughs> there you go. They seem like very similar movies, so... There's, there's a ton of, yeah, so many parallels and similarities, definitely. For one thing, both films ask the question, is surgery the new sex? Yeah, yeah, right? That was a big part of Fablemans. Yeah, right? and there's a guy covered in ears, saying, like, right? Yeah. In the Fablemans? Yes. Yeah. And confounding, but sure. <laughs> I might have zoned out for some parts. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw this film as well. Um, it didn't resonate quite as well with me, but I did appreciate just kind of the visceral nature mm-hmm. that the film has and just kind of the the chances. I mean, obviously Definitely. it's Cronenberg, so he's going to do what he's going to do. But also just some of the scenes in this and the way that they play out and also just the chemistry between mm-hmm. the actors. I mean, Leah Seydoux and and Viggo Mortensen and, and Kristen Stewart and all the like a tally of like all these like actors that are going to pop up multiple yeah. times. I, I have also been thinking about this as people because I keep looking at my list and I'm like, we oh, that two, we got person. two for Vigo. Mm-hmm. There you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Crimes of the Future I saw, too. It's one that I wish I connected with more. I saw lots of praise for Same. it. And um, it's exciting to see a movie by this filmmaker because it's a you know a return after a pretty long hiatus. And you know he's going to try something weird. And yeah, like... it is certainly weird. And I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was more of a film I appreciate rather than enjoy watching yeah. in the moment. You that's, know? And that's how I would feel. It's like yeah. he made room for his son. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say, guys, David Cronenberg's so... a past, Brandon Cronenberg's a future, bring on Infinity Pool. I yeah. am I'm so excited, excited for Infinity, for Infinity yeah. Pool. That's out in yeah. theaters now. There I you know, go. I've Support your local week. theater. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, so that was... Crimes. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about um, it? You know, Mike. We kind of jumped in on you, so no, that's okay. It's uh, it's like visually a gorgeous film. It kind of uh, might re- you know recall some elements of like Crash and Existence. Um, yeah, Crash. Yeah. But I would I would say that the the body horror element, which was the main draw for me, was not as horrific as I honestly hoped. I expected it to be a lot gorier. It's mm-hmm. disturbing in a sense, but not. I mean, it's gory in a surgery sense sense of the word. Yeah. Not like a violence type of thing. It's like biotech. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's number eight. Uh, Bo. My number eight is The Banshees of Inna Sharon. Ooh. Um, This is another one I saw on HBO. Holy moly. I think that's three in a row for me. Um, But yeah, The Banshees of Inna Sharon is, I think, the only. Uh, movie on my list you could argue is just like first and foremost a drama without many other genres that are mixed in to that drama element Um, but it does have some surrealism with how the characters act Um, it's about two best friends uh, and one of them one day just decides he doesn't want to be the other's best friend anymore and what happens because of that and it's a movie that has a very simple premise but then it becomes about um, legacy and mm-hmm. leaving an impact after you're gone and how much time should you spend with the people you love versus doing the things you love mm-hmm. to do. And so I found those themes really surprising because you're not going to read that in an IMDb you know, mm-hmm. premise uh, plot synopsis. So there was more thematically in this movie waiting for me that I didn't uh, know about. Um, 
I think the performances are incredible. It has, I think, one of the best supporting casts of the year. You've got Carrie Condon and Barry Keoghan mm -hmm. uh, doing a scene together where I think they kind of help each other get nominated for the Oscar. And it's pretty incredible to watch that scene happen in real time. And then you've got uh, Brendan Gleeson, of course, doing most of the supporting work in the film. Um, and then Colin Farrell with a great uh, lead performance, too. So just... Cast-wise, it's it's amazing for me. So that's appearance one of the big reasons why I love Colin it. Farrell. Appearance number two. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thirteen I, lives it, and the, now here. The thing about that this film is it, it's almost like um, the the actions of children played out through adults, mm. Mm. Um, and just like almost like schoolyard style interactions, yes. like that. I don't want to be your friend anymore. And even the Barry Keoghan, Carrie Condon scene when he's like. He essentially is asking her out on a date and he's like, yeah, no, I would never like he kind yes. of plays it off like when you get embarrassed and you're like laughing it off type of mm -hmm. thing. That really reminded me of like children when they get I mean, obviously adults do it as well as you see well, in the film. Carrie but. Condon and a lot of the other adults on the island, they're kind of the audience surrogate they're mm -hmm. the adults in the situation like the teachers or the parents yes. stepping in and being like wait what what are you doing this for like why do you care this much or why are you doing this stop it and so it's great to see those mm -hmm. play against each other too and the movie never gives you explanations in my opinion either like yeah. and it doesn't or, or they to. do in and it's very vague and yeah. i exactly i think it plays out very simple i mean it is darkly comedic i would say to mm -hmm. play yeah. on to but i think that's just a uh, Martin McDonough staple. I mean, all yes. of his films are are dark in their subject matter with elements of comedy that they bring in. Uh, I mean, obviously with Three Billboards and in Bruges and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I didn't see um, Seven Psychopaths, but I've seen also yeah. Seven Psychopaths. Oh, I've seen um, Three Billboards and in Bruges, and I think Banshees of Inisherin. I think Three Billboards is probably third place for me. And I think In Bruges and Banshees are kind of like tied for first. Mm -hmm. Sometimes In Bruges is my favorite. Sometimes Banshees is my favorite. So yeah. it's really up there in his filmography for me. It's great. Yeah. yeah. As I say, actually, yes, Seven Psychopaths is definitely like the bottom for me, but it's still, yeah, Martin McDonough. And yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's a great filmmaker. And I'm always happy when writer. he when he comes in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, my number seven, or my number eight, I mean, <laughs> number eight is... The Matt Reeves Batman. Nice. Um, I don't know if this is a more sentimental pick for me because I love uh, Batman as a character. It's my favorite superhero or comic book character. Um, I also, um, Seven is one of my favorite films of all time. And I think that that really, you can see that influence in this film. Um, just kind of the the darkness that it shows, the the really leaning into the serial killer aspect and the crime procedural that this film gets into. Um, and then I think when you pair that with really good um, performances from, I, I mean, I think Robert Pattinson, I think Paul Dano, there you Colin go, Paul Farrell. Dano. Paul but, <laughs> but I was just going to say Colin Farrell um, now for the third time wow. coming on this film, but also I think Andy Serkis, gives a really great performance in a very understated role. He finally gets to show his face in a film, which is great. Um, but I, I just, I really enjoyed this, this movie. Um, and I don't have a, a ton to say about it other than I just, I thought it was a great kind of different look at Batman that 
plays into some of the darkness that the Christopher Nolan movies went into, but kind of pushing it even yeah, further. Doubles down on doubles it. Down on it yep. In a way that I think really is effective and works for me. Is Nevermind also your favorite Nirvana album from the 90s? <laughs> well, the thing too is uh, obviously there was the, the, the famous trailer with something in the way on it, but I also know that um, Matt Reeves said that he based the Batman character after Kurt Cobain. So um, kind of that detachment, some of that type of stuff. Um, I do like... Never mind. It is a great album. Um, but but yeah, I just I think this movie is really effective in the way that it, it in the tone that it's trying to portray. And I love the procedural side of it. Um, but yeah, that's my number eight. Great pick. Probably I, I know get no, again. I later. know no one will mention it again. So it's good someone <laughs> yeah. talked about it. So great. Yeah. I, th- I will say I was Under-seen. a little bit worried how. <laughs> Thir- it's the 13 lives. It's the 13 lives of <laughs> comic book list. movies, for sure. Um, but that's my number eight. So, Jared, number seven. Um, all right. So, my number seven, it, it's it's a movie that really kind of came out of nowhere. Like, I didn't even realize it was getting made until the trailer dropped. And pair that with, like, my brother and I being, you know, so much alike, but yet our taste can be so wildly different that when, like, the planets align and we just both equally like a movie so much, it kind of elevates it for both of us. My number seven is Confess Fletch. Wow. Uh, oh, yeah. Bringing okay. back uh, a long dormant character who I don't know if anybody was really begging to bring Fletch back <laughs> other than maybe Chevy Chase. And, you know, thankfully, you know. I think Chevy Chase is cool with just chilling. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, that's I've, all I've he knows how to do anymore. That's I've, fair. <laughs> I've listened to him on a on the uh, Fly on the Wall podcast with uh, Dana Carvey and David Spade. And I'm like, you probably shouldn't even do podcasts. Who but. who is more indifferent about being a movie star, him or Harrison Ford? I think Harrison Ford still cares. You know, I, I mean, don't know. Sometimes I listen to him in interview. Or how about we throw Bill Murray in there too? Okay. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I think how they're all they, just how tired. They I mean, yeah. rightfully so. Yeah. They've been around for a long time and maybe have used a handful of things that we won't mention on this podcast yeah yeah uh it takes a toll on you after after a while yeah so confess fletch uh (laughs) john ham yeah Yeah, john ham uh i think they couldn't have like picked a better person with more effortless like charisma and can you know be funny as we've seen him outside of Mad Men be and like anything you know kind of produced by uh like tina fey and things like Mm -hmm. that so He's got the chops, and he can, like, do this character. Uh, and, yeah, pairing him up with John Slattery again, who appears as a, a newspaper editor, is fun in a Mad Men reunion sort of way. But it, it is. It's it's easy. It's breezy. It's very it's beautiful. Um, and, you know, I like, I, like, I like mysteries. I like murder mysteries. And, again, we'll probably hear a few more murder mysteries on, on this list. But, I think we will. I did uh, not see this, so I can't speak to, on to it. Quote, to quote John Hamm multiple times in the movie, uh, five stars. Because he just goes around rating everything that happens. He's like, this ride, five stars. All so. right. Um, did anyone else see this? I have not. I did not. I've seen the original Fletch. I haven't even seen the sequel to the original Fletch. Fletch but, Lives. Yeah. I saw that in theaters as a kid. And, you know, that was at a time where I was like, well, it's a sequel. It has to be better, right? <laughs> Woof. No. No. Kid logic. So, yeah, there you, you go. Know, kid logic. Terrible logic. Um, well, okay. If well, you've got Showtime, it's there for you. There you okay. go. Well, that's uh, that's Confess Fletch. Mm-hmm. Um, Erica. 
Ah, so my number seven pick is Fresh, directed by Mimi Cave. Nice. Okay. And that's one I honestly would not have watched if you guys had not already recommended it mm-hmm. to me. Um, just simply because Hulu is not really the best platform platform for horror films. Like I've been disappointed by like at least ninety percent of their original. Did you watch films. the Blumhouse? whatever house or whatever it was when they did the series of horror films, like the low budget ones for Hulu. Uh, yeah. I think I saw some of those. It wasn't, I saw the, some of the names were notable behind them. But yeah. I mean, I, yeah, you can skip I, it, but, but yeah, like some, some things that like, you really want them to be good. Like the Hellraiser reboot, which had amazing uh, creature. I, that, makeup. I forgot that came out. this yeah. past That's year. David Garbage Bruckner, right? Movie. So I don't remember. I don't remember who was to blame for that, but, um, like, <laughs> like gorgeous, you know, creature effects and makeup, um, horribly dull movie. It's like, so, thanks for that. Hulu. So, hear more about it later on your list, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be on someone's list. Now. Um, uh, anyway, so fresh was like actually a really excellent film. I was just super pleasantly surprised by it and actually appalled in some ways. And that's saying a lot for me to find something repellent and kind of gross. It's like, Clearly from the marketing campaign, there's some plot involving cannibalism. So that's not a surprise. I've seen plenty of movies with that in there. The way they handled it, though, was just really creepy and, like, unsettling. Mm-hmm. And part part of it may be because, like, the first at least 30 to 45 minutes of the film is almost a romantic comedy. And it's about the woes of online dating. And it's kind of more lighthearted. And then you get like the opening credit scene way into the film, and then it becomes a different film. I remember when I saw it for the first time, I Googled to see if it was like the latest opening credit. It's like 30 minutes <laughs> into the film yeah. or yeah. something like well, that's that. That's been a trend the past few years. Uh, Drive My Car did that 40 minutes in. Yeah, exactly. I can't remember if Barbarian starts uh, cold open and does that thing 40 minutes in, too. Does but Barbarian even it's have just have an opening no. credit? It might do it at the end. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's kind of a trend now. Extending to all genres where these movies have these cold opens mm-hmm. and then you're hit with what the actual thing of the movie is and then you see the title like a third of the way through. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it's a great, it's an effective narrative tactic mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. It's a nice punctuation. Um, I it's Something I really enjoyed fresh as well. Um, I, I really appreciate a horror film in particular that kind of shows its hand um, like early in the film. It's severed hand. It's yeah. severed hand. That's what um, I thought you were going for. That, yeah, that, yeah. I was waiting for somebody to make that yeah. joke. Um, but just like being upfront about what it, what's going on early. Another film that's not on my list that I enjoyed more than I thought I would that kind of does a similar thing is Orphan First Kill. Oh, yeah. Um, where if you've seen that, there's kind of a, a mystery element that is revealed with like an hour still left in the film. So mm-hmm. another another fun type of situation. But yeah. there's um, yeah. something on the menu in Fresh that isn't on the menu in, in the, the menu. menu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. We can talk more about the menu <laughs> potentially later. Who knows? But I mean, I think for the menu, that would have been kind of an easy route where when you have a movie like Fresh and it's just like, this is what it is. Yeah. They really embrace it, and I think they do a really good job with it as well. Great uh, poster, too. great yeah, yeah. great poster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 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 red one that they release has like their faces. I was like, I don't know why you would use this. Oh, no, the, the, pink the pink background one, yeah. exactly. I was gonna say, I don't that know why you weren't using this for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, 
Okay, Bo, what about your number seven? My number seven is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. All right. This is a film I saw in the theater back in April. And this was the film that just kind of took the spring and summer and beyond by storm. Everybody was seeing this movie. Critics were giving this perfect ratings or high ratings. It it, um, just was reviewed super well. And this is the Daniels who did mm-hmm. Swiss Army Man, which I loved. I actually really loved that film. That film is off-putting to a lot of people. I totally understand why. A lot of farting and weird <laughs> ideas. I mean, you could say that this film is also off-putting. This to film a lot is of off-putting on, it does on not paper. Have a lot of farting. I mean, that's a good thing. Biggest uh, critique, but improvised butt plugs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. where, where it doesn't have farting, it does have improvised butt plugs yes. and other yes. other strange <laughs> that, ideas. That is that was the one of the best scenes. So I'm. <laughs> I have to talk about more later. Yeah. Well, and that's what's kind of fun about the movie is everybody kind of has their own favorite scene and everywhere all, everything everywhere all at once because it has so many ideas going on. Mm-hmm. Every five minutes in this movie, there's a new idea they're playing with. There's a new scene they have to get going to. It's about a woman who's accessing all of her um, potentials through her multiverse selves. She's a person in our world who doesn't do anything that particularly well. And that makes her a really great heroine in this in this tale. And so uh, Michelle Yeoh is uh, so magnetic in this performance and fun to watch. And you see her realize how good she is at fighting, like in the moment that it's happening. And that's really fun to see. Um, the whole cast I is mean, great. If you've never seen Super Cop before, I guess. Yeah, you're. Just <laughs> the uh, the cop that I have be not stopped. seen that. Um, but. Yeah, I feel like she's getting recognized in ways that she should have been for a long time before this. Um, there, yeah, there's a lot of ridiculousness. The game, the the uh, movie actually gave me a headache in the movie theater, um, and it was, it almost felt uncontrolled for a lot of its runtime. But then it comes together in the end in a way that is life affirming. Um, it talks about how we should all just be kind, how kindness can prevail. And it sounds kind of sappy to say that, but the way the movie does it through this sequence that's like 10 to 20 minutes long is just really carefully constructed and it feels really earned. Mm-hmm. So um, I really liked this movie. Um, it's a lot of people's favorite movie of the year. I think the journey just for me is a little exhausting to keep it from being like up closer to my number one, but it's still in my top 10 just because on a craft level, performance level, unique story level, it is unmatched in many ways mm-hmm. this year. I'm not going to say anything because I think we'll probably be talking about it later. Um, so, yeah, why don't we just keep moving then? Um, my number seven is another The Man film this year, and it is the Robert Eggers film, The North Man. Um, this was a film that I was really, really – it was probably my most anticipated film of the year just because of how much I – Loved uh, other Robert Egger. I mean, the the witch is one of my favorite mm-hmm. horror films of the last. I don't even know how long, and I I really enjoyed the Lighthouse as well. Um, so kind of seeing him in this different direction, um, where it wasn't he was kind of taking. It, there's horror elements, I guess you would say, with some of the violence and stuff, but definitely going more in that like action epic historical type of film. Um, but the thing that I really loved about this film is that it kind of subverted my expectations in a lot of ways. Um, I think you look at a film like this where it's like, oh, this cast out heir to the throne has to come and regain his crown or whatever. And 
yes, but there are way there's things just don't seem to work out the way that he hopes they would. I mean, and without there, we talked more about this on a, a previous podcast, but just kind of almost kind of being let down by the by the hero's journey in this, where it's like he wants to go face off against this man. You see, oh, things really didn't work out as well as you would have hoped for him, and kind of the 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 path that he's able to take, but chooses to do other things, and then the conclusion and all those types of things. But I, I just loved um, the look of this film. I liked the the narrative choices. I really liked the performances, even though they go into a different. They're they're odd. At times, I would say, um, I will say, I would have used a lot more Bjork um, in this film. <laughs> yeah, That's just my, one scene, right? Just one scene. Yep. Uh, she's great, but I just I loved being in the the world of this film um, because I just I, I, as a person who is Swedish, um, uh, I I really enjoy the Viking stories and things of that nature, and so I uh, I really enjoyed uh, the Northmen. Yeah, it's fitting for Robert Eggers. You know, when very you, when much you, so. I mean, it might not at first glance, but it really feels like a nightmare of a film by the end. Yeah. And it's something that doesn't surprise me like after the fact, but going in, I didn't know that it would do that that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Robert Eggers really knows his lane. Um especially with the the films we've already mentioned in The Northman and then also with Nosferatu coming up to um, kind of doing those those dark, old, like those types of films. More Willem Dafoe. I'll take more Willem Dafoe doing I'll, weird things. We, weird side tangent. Yeah, I saw Willem Dafoe might be cast in Eggers Nosferatu, but I'm like, didn't we do that with Shadow of the Vampire already with Willem <laughs> Dafoe? Yeah, I mean, yes, but I would assume Eggers and that that's a I'm Werner Herzog no. film, right? Um, or what, which one is... No, no, he did a different yeah. vampire film, but uh, he actually Anyways, did a no. Nosferatu. Never mind. I, I won't say no to well, more Willem Dafoe. Exactly, but but yeah, that's my uh, that's my number seven, The Northman. Nice. Um, let's move on to number six, Second Jared. Appearance for Anya Taylor Joy. There you go. I'm really wishing I could have found a place for the Black Phone, so Ethan Hawke could have had a few more appearances. But <laughs> oh. So be it. Uh, this so I guess number six could be dubbed my family slot. I wish it was the Sea Beast, but you know what? The the family movie that I loved the most, that I've watched the most, gosh darn it, Chippendale Rescue Rangers on Disney+. Okay. Plus. I don't know how they did it. Akiva Goldsman, one-third of Lonely Island, uh, along with uh, partner in crime Andy Samberg, John Mulaney, Will Arnett, so many other comedians and terrific actors. Just going for some of the, like the most meta in jokes possible, and my kids still loved it. They have no idea. They don't know what ugly Sonic is, <laughs> but the fact that that was a running joke and appeared, I uh, just delighted me to no end and was hilarious and had a great payoff as well. So, you know, I guess if Disney's gonna let you make fun of them and play around with their IP, you got to do it within their own house. But so be it. I'll take it. This movie. This I wish this movie would have been released theatrically. I think it could have really found uh, an even bigger audience and you know considerable business. <sighs> yeah, we've uh, we've already talked about like some kids' movies already, Puss in Boots, and like that, and you know Minions: The Rise of Gru. Two ter- two examples of like 
people showing up for the box office. Whereas Disney, what they put out theatrically and what they held for streaming, like Turning Red and Chippendale Rescue Rangers, I wish both would have been released theatrically. I don't blame them for releasing like, you know, Lightyear. Say so they put Strange all their money World. in into the Lightyear and, basket. And, I and think Strange World as well, and that's you know they just they really kind of took some some beatings on those, and it's unfortunate. But yeah, I still I you know think uh, things like this and you know Puss in Boots. It's it was it was good for 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 families and thankfully parents as well. And this this I, I did I really really like Chippendale Rescue Rangers. It's fun and funny. So and Will Arnett as a fat scheming adult Peter Pan <laughs> is comedic gold. I heard that uh, the movie and maybe just like it's central to the plot, but the movie mixes animation styles within the oh, yes, film it does. that's yeah. that's kind of a central theme right yep. is one of one of the two yeah, wants to graduate to like 3d and animation or something yeah. like that yeah, yeah. And, it, and it seamlessly works cool. it does yeah, i did not see this film so i have no comment yeah. on it it's been on my but, disney plus watch list since it came out mm-hmm. and i don't know why i haven't watched it yet if yeah. you queue it up i doubt you'll turn it off nice yeah well, okay. Chippendale's Rescue Ranger. Number six, though, for Erica is... Spotties, spotties, spotties. Nice. nice. Okay. Awesome. So, yeah, based on the trailer, it kind of looked like it was going to be a very just visually stylish uh, slasher film, but updated with Gen Z tropes and stereotypes. And it, it definitely is a satire of Gen Z, but it's not even properly a slasher film. And I don't really want to spoil it, but it's really more of a whodunit. And there's really not even a lot of gore, uh, at least on screen with it. <clears throat> but uh, I, I feel like where it shines is the whole like trolling its target audience mm-hmm. uh, elements, all this like just mean spirited <laughs> humor and like awful dialogue between these characters who are just like rich, entitled, um, superficial 20 somethings. Mm-hmm. I was like, woof. But um, you know, if you like that theme, make it a double feature with Sissy, which is on Shutter. Um also, Shout out Shutter. Yes, it is it's still streaming there. You can check it out. Those two movies will be really nice back to back. Um Yeah, I, I really enjoyed Bodies, Bodies, Bodies as yeah. well. We have another episode we about do. that as well. Yeah, it was your feature um, review. Yeah. Uh shout out Rachel Sennett. She I love her. She's great in this. What is, what is her line where she's like she's like but he's a moon Libra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a Libra moon. There you go. It's like, <laughs> things, things like that, and just like, name? like how how um, <laughs> eviscerating they can be with a line like, "Yeah, but your parents are only upper middle class." Yeah. <laughs> As like a huge takedown. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so infuriating good. characters that also you can tell are in on the like mm-hmm. the the oh, yeah. actresses and actors that are in this are. In that demographic, mm-hmm. like definitely a part of it, but still being able to kind of poke fun at that and embrace it, I thought was really great about yeah, that. Definitely. Yeah, it sticks the landing for me 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. <laughs> Bo? Uh, I think it's pretty incredible that we haven't had crossover yet. Like nobody has. We're almost repeated. halfway I through. Know. We will. Yeah, we're soon. We will soon, but. Um, the streak will continue because my number six is RRR. Nice. Uh, this is this is the three-hour Indian film on Netflix uh, about two um, Indian revolutionaries in the 1920s 
and how they sort of find each other and become best friends. So another film about two best friends, only they're not breaking apart. They're coming together, uh, okay. unlike Banshees of Inisherin. But um, yeah, this is S.S. Rajamuli's uh, action epic where um, this movie might not be my favorite movie of the year, but it might be the most movie of the year, meaning it has kind of everything in it. It has- Wait, wait, does it out most everything everywhere all at once even? In some ways, I mean, one That's of those incredible. ways is runtime, and yeah. it is constantly showing you, uh, you know, new scenes that are grand and epic in mm. scale. One of the opening scenes is a guy fighting a crowd that looks like it's ten thousand people, and it looks like it's done all practically, and it's incredibly choreographed. Um, it has action ideas I've never seen in another movie. It has hundreds, maybe thousands of speed ramps where you see the action just kind of dialed down to this really nice uh, frame where you're just seeing everything happening at once. Um, it has great animal animation. There are great animals okay. that that are part of action scenes in this movie too. Um, amazing dance sequences. There are dan There is dance choreography in this film that's some of the best I've ever seen. That is, I'm not exaggerating. It is amazing. Uh, this movie is nominated for one Oscar. Um, and it's for best original song, um, Natu Natu. Even if you're not interested in seeing this movie, if you look up that song, it takes place during a wedding. It's great. I can't believe that these guys, you know, dressed in uh, like nice attire with suspenders and button up shirts can do this kind of dancing mm -hmm. and make it look like just effortless. Um, so it's filled full of so many cool action and drama ideas that, uh, again, I didn't see in other films this year. So, yeah, unfortunately, not India's pick for best picture so this year. So weird not to see that. Yeah, so, so weird. People were up in arms it. about that. And the ironic thing is, I don't remember the name of India's official submission. Maybe you can look it up. We'll but figure it out. their submission, again, is following that theme of a filmmaker making a movie about filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that it made as big of a splash as this might have. And I think uh, people were just so confused about, like, I think India just messed up their submission. They should have thought more about what was popular because even before Oscar season, this movie was hot and they should have recognized that. Yeah, it's called The Last Film Show. Right, so um, it's in the title kind of. You kind yeah, of get that it's that. And it, it did make the short list for best uh, okay, foreign so language. Okay, so there was maybe so, some hope that it made it to the final five. But there was a lot of lists I was seeing that RRR was in the top tens. So I was just surprised. When you have those foreign language or films that are getting the buzz that something like RRR was getting, it's surprising when it's not yeah. the submission. Mm -hmm. So, um, But at least it's getting some recognition with the original song, though. So yes. it'll have its place Yes, And this Oscars. podcast. And this and podcast. This podcast <laughs> which is very important. Yes, the most important thing. Um, well, I'm going to keep the trend of no overlap Whoa. with my number six. So we're halfway through this and Dang. no overlaps yet. Um, and this is uh, referencing someone that I referenced to Jared earlier, mm -hmm. Mr. Ty West. Uh -huh. um, my number six is Pearl. Ooh, okay. um, so Pearl is the prequel to X, which was also released this year, which feels like an eternity ago. <laughs> um, but it's basically telling the backstory of the antagonist of X, um, but it's shot in this golden age of Hollywood style, much in um, 
like uh, the Wizard of Oz and things of that nature. Um, different use of scarecrows, though, in this film. Um, you can read into that however you want. Um, but I think this film was very, even though it was a very simple plot, um, is very engaging. And I think that really um, goes, uh, is part of Mia Goth and her performance. She is a rock star in this film. Um, her and Brendan Fraser are probably my two favorite to go off of that. Um, and especially, um, the final shot of this film is it sticks with you for a very long time. Um, and her kind of almost Oscar esque monologue that she has in the film as well. Um, it just really sticks with you. And, um, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Tony Collette's um, scene in Hereditary mm. when she's explaining to the, mm-hmm. um, the to the scene? no, I was actually talking oh. about the the um, the support group scene where she's oh, okay. laying yeah. out okay. all of her baggage and then it just cuts to the other side and they're just kind of staring because <laughs> they don't know how to respond. Um, but I thought this movie was really beautifully shot. It really leans into that 1920s to 40s kind of golden age of Hollywood, um, the font choices and the score and everything is just really into it. I got to see this at the drive-in, too, oh, which really solid. added solid. to the experience. Um, and there's a third one called Maxine that's going to be those, coming all out. three of those could have come out in one year, I would it would have been, been like, awesome. Well, You've done it. Um, but, but yeah, that's my number six, uh, Pearl. I just caught up with that Saturday night. Definitely like the best kind of, I don't want to say better, but like more accomplished and like confident, just like total control. He knows exactly what he wants, what mm-hmm. he's doing. I I think personally, I'll probably go back to X more just because I love a good slasher, sort of a gore fest sort of a thing. But yeah, man, Mia Goth, like her, her face and just like what she puts on it and mm-hmm. Yeah, because that final she, shot. She's man. just mesmerized. She yeah. she just pulls you in, and uh, she's she's great. Um, and that's why it's number six. But all right, let's move on to our top fives. Um, we'll see if we have any crossover. We may <laughs> have crossover. I don't think it's going to start with my number five. Okay, number five, Jared. <laughs> so this one wasn't even my on my radar. It got in to my top ten. This afternoon, whoa! Yeah. That happened to me last year that too. To me last year too. with yeah. Tragedy of Macbeth for me. Yes, uh, the harder they fall was mine. Nice. nice. Okay. Well, well what, and, what about you? You know, in line with the harder they fall, this was a Netflix movie, and I think it's just because I'm in like a particular basketball zone with my life right now. Oh. Talking about Adam Sandler, LeBron James produced Hustle. I just started wow. watching it last night, and I finished it this afternoon. So like. The NBA season, we're settled in. Denver Nuggets might be might be going to the promised land. It's too it's probably too early to say, but I'm 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 hopeful. I'm playing a lot of NBA 2K23 vicariously <laughs> through my character, who's six foot one, versus my five foot seven frame that uh, definitely debilitated me on the court. And I also am a very reluctant coach of my son's first grade basketball team oh. this year. So there's a lot of basketball going on. So it was kind of like right place, right time. I watched this. It's very like formulaic. It's not breaking any rules, sure. but something about sports movies, underdog stories, and you know, to their credit, Netflix will let filmmakers do what they want. They'll let a movie be R-rated if it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, this is a, a pretty pretty darn good, like, Adam Sandler turn, you know, in the vein of just kind of, like, kind of old. Like, he's a little older. He's a mm-hmm. little slower, kind of haggard, but he still has that sharp wit and those cutting lines. And, uh, yeah, I think next to baseball, basketball can sometimes be the most cinematic thing to watch, you know, as far as, like, the moves these athletes put on there. I mean, some of these guys literally are Olympians. And yeah. some of the efforts are Herculean. Yeah. And you slow that down, and it looks incredible. I think baseball, personally, is maybe a little bit more cinematic, not to watch uh, in person, but just, like, with the tension inherent in the game. And, you know, here, you know, this is kind of, like, right up there with, like, Spike Lee's He Got Game for me, where you're actually taking a real NBA player, and somehow not only can they do a tour de force on the court, but they can actually – kind of act you know there nice. it was ray allen who is now since a hall of famer mm-hmm. and here gonna butcher his name honcho hernan gomez mm-hmm. uh, cl- yeah. yeah so anyway not quite a hall of famer I, but yeah, he's not there yet he's playing for the celtics one of the teams of ray allen's uh isn't his, that the team uh, that he uh, ends up on at the end uh, of yeah, the he, film he, or, uh, uh, no so yeah honcho yes his character Bo cruz ends up with this with the well well it's not spoiled whatever too much. anyways mm-hmm. But, uh, or does he? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Here's the thing. He's a tremendous supporting cast. I mean, the, like I said, this is produced by LeBron James. I don't even think the current NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, could have gotten the league as on board with this movie as LeBron James. Because you got everybody, like young and old, appearing in here as themselves or as characters. Plus, you got Ben Foster being Ben Foster. All he has to do is like show up, put a slight scowl on his face, <laughs> and you're just like, oh, I hate that guy. Everything he does, <laughs> yes. though, is he always a puts place. in a good performance, though. Oh, yeah. And, like, in something like Hell or High Water, where you're oh, like, my gosh. man, Love I mean, he's movie. just he's unhinged. Um, you just don't know which way he's going to go. Yeah. Also, Urkel's in this movie, guys. Wow. Jaleel White, wow. in a weird minor supporting role, mm-hmm. he's there. I saw him, I was like, is that who I think it is? <laughs> sure enough, it is. And Queen Latifah's in there. Um, as a, you know, supportive, a bit beleaguered wife to Adam Sandler's hustling sports, uh, uh, scout, but yeah, this, it, it worked for me and the filmmaker, you know, he does fun things with the camera. He puts with his cameras getting smaller and still looking as good as they can. He's putting them in fun spots for like some great sports montages and things like that. So it just, yeah, you know. As a basketball fan, this totally worked for me, and I can't believe like I put it off this long, and here it is now, halfway through my list. Did you mm-hmm. see the way back with oh, Ben yeah. Affleck? Yes, I did. It kind of feels like this mm-hmm. year's the bit. way back. Yeah, uh, mixed, I haven't uh, seen Hustle, but yeah, mixed with a little bit of like He Got Game, not too much Hoosiers and stuff. But I'm a, I'm a fan of like those movies and like White Men Can't Jump mm-hmm. and stuff. So yeah, nice. yeah. All right, Erica, number five. Um, so almost an overlap. Um, my pick is X. There we oh. go. Okay. And yeah, it was, uh, I just thought it was a really delightful film. I also loved Pearl. The only reason I didn't include Pearl in my top 10 is I just didn't want to spoiler. put two films of the same series. So yeah, slight spoiler. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it seems like there's just so many like good horror films coming out of a 24 mm. and, um, this one, you know, another one that seems like it could just be a regular slasher film, but it ends up subverting and kind of reimagining a lot of common tropes, especially the trope of a killer who, like, wants to punish uh, sexually active young people. I mean, 
it kind of seems like there's that element, but there is a completely different reasoning behind it in this case, which I don't really want to spoil. Um, and there's also like some thought-provoking commentary about uh, sort of how society deval- devalues the elderly. Uh, so yeah, I, I love this movie. Also love Pearl. Uh, Mia Goth is phenomenal in both. I'm very excited to see Maxine, which I'm not sure exactly when that comes out this year, but I am pumped for it. Yeah, very good performances across mm-hmm. the board. Um, I mean, Jenna Ortega, who's mm-hmm. like oh, the yeah. hottest <laughs> actress, right? And she's like the <laughs> it girl right now. Yeah. She's great in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got uh, Martin, uh, oh, I should have pulled up the the name before oh, yeah. that, from The Ring. Oh, yeah, and you got Scott Miscotti. Uh, yes. And, or... Miscotti. Or Kid Cudi. Um, <laughs> True. Yeah. There you go. I'm, I'm or, and Brittany yeah. Snow, all very good in this film. Um, I, I would have liked a little bit more from kind of the reveal at the end with Maxine's character. They kind of put it in a different, they kind of give yeah. more context to her character that I thought was kind of a missed opportunity. Uh, maybe they'll tackle that in the third film. I would assume they will. Um, but I really enjoyed X as well. Um uh, I think Ty West is a pretty consistent overall director um, with I really enjoyed The Innkeepers and House of the Devil. Um, Sacrament, yeah. okay. Um, but but I think uh, anytime he's going to release a film, I'll, I'll at least be intrigued by it. So, yeah, X is, is very enjoyable, especially if you enjoy, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something Which along I those do. lines. Yes. Is- like one of my all-time favorite feel-good movies. Feel good, yeah, <laughs> makes me feel good too, right? Uh, so number five for Bo. Everyone, the streak continues. Oh, my number five is Glass Onion: A Knives Out Mystery. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, this is another film you can watch on Netflix, and this is the sequel to Knives Out from a couple years ago, uh, a movie that I really liked and saw in the theater, and Netflix only put this sequel in the theaters for, I think, a week, and mm-hmm. I would have liked to see it in the theater, but this was still really fun to watch at home. I watched this with my wife, and it's the film that I have talked to the most people about, like at work. Okay. Um, Benoit Blanc, in this film, uh, played by Daniel Craig, is a character that is expanded upon in fun ways. We get to know more about um, uh, his partner that he's living with. Um, we see more about how he likes to plan things out and kind of put himself, um, you know, make turn the chessboard around and make himself in control in a couple ways that uh, we don't expect. And um, yeah, just great surprises. This movie had crazy luck coming out around the time that Elon Musk was doing the takeover of Twitter. Like they couldn't have asked for better timing and it was unintentional. It was a happy accident (laughs) that this film came out when it did. And it's about a billionaire being a jackass. And we were seeing that playing out in real time for months. Then this movie came out making fun of all of that. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. It's fun. The mystery is really good. Um, The supporting cast, just like in Knives Out, is just stacked with recognizable actors that are all, you know, putting in great performances. Janelle Monae is great in this film. Um, Yeah, it was just a ton of fun. Glass Onion. There you go. Glass Onion. Probably won't be the last time we hear about it. We can move on then. (laughs) Um, So we'll move on to my number five. And unfortunately, everyone... 
the streak comes to an end. If it wasn't, it, trust me, if it wasn't going to be you, it would. It's going to be yours. Me. Is yeah. next? Okay, good. Yeah. Um, so my number five is everything, everywhere, all at once. Nice. Um, I, I don't really have much to say that Bo didn't already say. It's just a. Um, it's so engrossing. Mm-hmm. It's so captivating. Um, shout out to uh, James Hong, by the way. Um, love yeah, him no and everything. He's in like 5,000 movies. Yes, got his, um, his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Perfect. And and just, yeah, performances across the board are fantastic in this in this film. Uh, yeah, with Michelle Yeoh and, and Kiyu Khan. And yeah, just everybody in it is very great. And obviously, as we were talking, it's getting lots of recognition, um, which for a movie that's so out there to be yes. getting the support that it's getting, um, it's just, it's really nice to see. And I just thoroughly enjoyed being, um, a part of like what was going on. Obviously you see a lot of the influences with like the matrix and, and like Steven, uh, Chow films and things of that nature. Um, but it's just, it's a great overall film that I think has probably something for everyone because Mm -hmm. it's so all over the place. Um, but also kind of brings it back in and really has a heart to it as well. Um, so yeah, I, that's my number five. Yeah. Every time this movie comes up, you know, you could add something new to the commentary about it because there's so much to, so I will, uh, it's incredible that they set up all of those shots for all the multiverse versions. There's that quick cut montage essentially where it's like a couple frames maybe of each and it's Mm -hmm. insane. And they even like speed it up. And if you pause every frame, you're going to see a different shoot and scenario and probably whole day that they had to take to Mm -hmm. set up that shot. So there's a lot of that care in the filmmaking and the editing. Yeah. And it's just great to see. I mean, this is the Russo brothers did were the producers on this. And so them being spectacle directors, I would say doing a lot of the captain America and civil war and stuff like that. Um, I just being able to kind of let someone else also do spectacle (laughs) and really believing in the Daniels vision too. Yeah. Good restraint on their part. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Right. (laughs) Yeah. But, but yeah, great film. Um, Yeah. We can move on then, Jared. All right. Well, here's my repeat. And is it's like the t- the the bottom five going to go like so much faster now? Maybe. That it, like that's the thing. Or, we yeah. didn't have so much crossover, <laughs> but now it's just like, yep, we talked about this already. So all right. Well, here's my horror slot. I with the yeah the dearth the plethora of great horror movies. I I'm going with Barbarian as well. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, Zach Krager, just kind of coming out of nowhere. I mean, yeah, he came from Whitest Kids You Know. He did Miss March. And people are already like coining a term. He's taking the Jordan Peele route. Ah. It's the the horror, the comedy background horror directors, right? And so, yeah, there's there's not much more to say because, yeah, that previous episode where you all were talking about it, it was such a great setup for me to just you know not know what to expect because yeah, there is there's kind of like this. It's not like a hard pivot, but it. It turns. It's pretty hard. Yeah. And I know it works for some people. You know, I've talked about this with my nephew, Stephen, who's up in Alaska. He's getting into horror now, which I think is really fun that him and I can, like, talk about this. I kind of wish, yeah, we could talk about uh, Skin Marink a little bit because he, uh, he's also— <laughs> We'll save that for yeah. the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so, yeah, Barbarian. This one did did work for me. It's got uh, a few, like, what if this would have happened or that, but— where they go with it and yeah the 
the rabbit holes it goes down. <laughs> Literally. It's, yeah, yeah, it's just... I don't think I'll ever stay in an Airbnb again in my life. <laughs> it's so or if funny. I do, I will do a think full about this. The, well, just don't stay in a completely decrepit <laughs> right. I guess Detroit neighborhood. It is. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, Detroit it's, doing its thing again. I think we talked about this when yeah, we talked about it before. Yeah, filmed overseas uh, somewhere in like the Eastern Bloc. I think it's like Romania Eastern, yeah. or something like that. But It's it's I, also ironic that I was re- this is like one of the movies I've recommended the most and I was recommending it to a bunch of my friends while we were staying at an Airbnb. Nice. So, yeah. That's like, how you do it. Them. Are you comfortable right now? Yeah. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> um, and I, I do. I love like Bill Skarsgård very much. I guess playing against type in in some ways. I mean, him becoming a bit of a, a horror icon with a singular role. Mm-hmm. So him kind of like popping up, and you know, especially kind of in the you know culture and environment we live in, just kind of being leery of what mm-hmm. could be going on when things don't seem right. Yeah. Um, and kind of here's this strange guy. But, yeah, it goes on. And then, hey, here's Justin Long. <laughs> do you think you know Justin Long? Because I don't think you do. No. Because uh, this this movie does. It, it, it goes to some extremes. And oh, I appreciate yeah. it. Horror, horror <laughs> icon Justin Long. I know. I Dude's got Tusk. a resume. Yeah. Yep. I mean, awesome. Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> yeah. Jeepers Creepers. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. There yep. you go. He's got his pedigree. Mm-hmm. And so... Not, not much more I, I can say about Barbarian. Um, yeah, and I, I was gonna I make sure to get a horror movie on here. There you go. And this is what rose to the top. Nice. That's Crawled your number. Out of its hole. There you go. Yeah. That's your number four. <laughs> yep, number four. All right, Erica. I laughed uh, because my number four movie is also Barbarian. Hey, so, yeah. nice. yeah. so there you go. Right. Anything else you would like to share Gosh. about it? I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of been covered, but yeah, I, I just have to reiterate. I went into this not knowing anything other than the trailer and the movie kept me guessing. It went bananas at certain points or it's just like, what, what are you doing? But it was also extremely funny yeah. too. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it was definitely a treat. Yeah. Awesome. All right. We can just keep moving then. I guess so. What's your number four? Wow. Um, my number four is Top Gun Maverick. Okay. Uh, right. This is another kind of top tier theater experience I had uh, the past mm-hmm. year. I'm so glad I got to see this in the theater. Um, I know it was like the number one movie of the summer far and away, and a lot of people didn't expect that. So that was really fun to see. It's the number one movie of the year. It, until is it, Avatar. Is that, until yeah, until Avatar. I was going to say. Well, it hasn't, beaten, it hasn't been beaten yet. So Okay. okay. We'll see. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think this is one of my favorite sequels ever, um, especially in terms of just jump in enjoyment from the original to the sequel. Top Gun is a film I've only seen once. And, uh, man, it's like kind of a – it's kind of a mood piece uh, more so than I thought. It's um, – it just really wasn't something I gelled with, but Top Gun Maverick takes a lot of the action ideas from Tom Cruise's other big action films and packs it in here in a way that incorporates new casts, uh, members in fun ways. It's kind of a um, Force Awakens of this universe in, in, in which ways we're seeing, one. Mm-hmm. in which we're bringing on people we know and then also introducing these new characters. And Looking yes, there's the acts. other thing. Yes. And uh, so I think that it's just um, fascinating in that regard and just a really great action movie full of practical stunts that mm-hmm. I can't believe were shot with cameras that well. Yeah. 
much better than it had any business being. Yeah. yeah. Like I was, and you know, I love Joseph Kaczynski. I really loved um, Only the Brave from yes, a couple years ago. I've seen it. Yeah. Really loved that film. So going into this, knowing he was the director, I had high hopes and my hopes were um, exceeded with Top Gun Maverick. Perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty thrilled with that movie because I'm right there with you, Bo. I've seen the original. I was a kid when it came out, and other kids in my neighborhood literally went out and bought bomber jackets and were wearing aviators. I was just like, I'm cool on the ground here, guys. Yeah, I don't need to be. I got no need for speed. Right. And yeah, Top Gun Maverick <laughs> is just like, what if we do it again, but better and more fun with it. And uh, yeah, like it, it got a best adapted screenplay nomination. Yeah. Anytime Chris for best picture nomination. Yeah, Wild. deservedly so. Uh, so I'm equally like it can do whatever. It can lift from the original. It can lift from whatever movie it wants to because it is performing at such a uh, high level. Such top gun. <laughs> I know what you're doing. Yeah, I know what you're doing. Here we go. So we anyways, go. It'll get there. Anyways, we'll be like three more agree. films yep. into it, and he'll be like, "I got the joke now." It'll go. <laughs> yeah. But so yes, a dad. <laughs> well, that's Bo's number four. And guess what, guys? Guess what my number four is? No way, barbarian. It's barbarian. <laughs> um, this is wild. I'm kind of let down by Bo now Bo, that he didn't also out. have it at his at his number I four. I just kind of hate the movie more than all of you. So, <laughs> um, and obviously, I won't I won't get into it because we've talked about so much. But I just I love the theme of trust in this in this mm. film. Who to trust? Yeah. Who not to trust? Mm-hmm. And who you should trust? Um, and the decisions that are made because of that. Um, just a great overall film. I will say that when I was watching Pearl at the Drive-In, Barbarian was on the screen right next to it. I remember you saying that. So I that, caught the first 20 minutes oh. of Barbarian before um, Pearl started. Um, but fortunately, I was so engrossed in Pearl that I didn't okay. see anything so else from it. you hadn't seen Barbarian yet at that point? No. Oh, you just didn't want to get distracted. Yes. Okay. But the the... Pearl didn't start for another 20 minutes or so, and it was right next to us, and we found the radio station that had that theater or that screen on it. So we watched the first 20 minutes of it. Uh, Fortunately, by that point, not a whole lot has happened, so it wasn't overly spoiled. Um, But, yeah, my number four is Barbarian, uh, and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, who are you going to trust? Guy who... Famous for playing Pennywise or, you know, your trusted Mac guy. There you go. Jeez. <laughs> what, is, a, what a yeah. – it, it, what makes that movie great is both halves – it's not halves because it doesn't happen at the midway point. But the first part and then the majority of the movie mm-hmm. the after, they're both really good. They're both really good yeah. movies, like yes. kind of smished together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's number four. Top three, everybody. Jared. Yeah. Uh, this is where I slotted in everything, everywhere, all at once. There we go. So, yes, again, said it all. The Daniels, quite the duo. And as talk about, like, the skill and craft that had to be on display. Like, the fact that, yeah, they directed this and everything, but they were also editing and helping do the special, <laughs> like, like, working with After Effects to put these shots together themselves with their team uh, just speaks to the commitment from everybody. And, you know... Michelle Yeoh on like the award circuit right now and being able to just talk is so rewarding and her talking about receiving this script and feeling like this is a first script where, you know, I get to be me. Like people get to see me beyond what they think I can do. Uh, it's, uh, it's rewarding in and of itself in another multiverse. There's the version 
that has Jackie Chan starring in it, who they originally wrote yes. it for and passed on it. And I am very fascinated by what that could have been. Yeah. But here we are with Michelle Yeoh, Kiwa Kwan, and Jamie Lee Curtis. This was not the Jamie Lee Curtis movie I was looking forward to last year. <laughs> that movie yeah. shall not be named. Yeah. Um, but, we already talked about that yeah, one, too. So. Does that count toward the tally? No, we didn't actually. <laughs> But gosh, yeah, and yeah, James Hong, just an incredible cast. Uh, it's Stephanie Shu or Stephanie Show. I apologize, as the daughter in the movie who, if you're listening right now, you uh, uh, got a nomination as well. But um, uh, somehow they outmarveled Marvel, you know, as far as multiverse goes. Yeah, a year we got the multiverse of madness with Doctor Strange from Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like, okay, well, yeah, that's that's fine. This is a movie that stuck with me, and yes, like. Every scene as ridiculous. I mean, yes, we've talked about butt plugs, but there's also the multiverse with <laughs> with hot dog fingers and yes, things. Yes, I know. Where it comes, yes, it's so profoundly so silly, but it informs the development of Michelle Yeoh's character overall and her understanding of her daughter. Even mm-hmm. it's it, to the point where you like you go back and see seeing it again. Like that's it's 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 tender and it's opening up you know her mind's eye mm-hmm. and things like that. So, yeah, I'm fine with this walking away best picture. There you go. This is only one of two movies on my list. I think I rewatched. I just rewatched it the other night nice. um, because I'm trying to get my wife caught up on some of these nominees mm-hmm. that she wants to see. I thought this is like one that you could enjoy. She doesn't like super scary stuff. She doesn't like stuff that's hyper violent. But I thought this movie was like the right balance of that. And rewatching again, I think I enjoyed it more than that time I saw it in in April. So I wonder if hmm. if I were to watch it again, mm-hmm. like, will I keep picking up on more themes? Yeah. Will I will it resonate more and more? So I was actually surprised by that because usually I don't enjoy films more the second time. I just mm-hmm. kind of enjoy them the same amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's number three. That's everything, everywhere, all at once. Again, there we go. Uh, Erica, what's your number three? Um, so, like, my top three, it was really hard to pick a, you know, like, the top one. So, I mean, they're they're very nearly tied. But for third place, I picked Nope by Jordan Peele. Nice. Right. There we go. And, um, yeah, it's like it seems like a common theme when I was going through my list is that a lot of the films I ended up really loving were movies that seemed like a certain type of film, and then they end up being something entirely different. Like, the plot takes... Um, like a total left turn or just the trailer was kind of deceptive as far as what the content was. So yeah, I I really, I love this. I think it's my favorite Jordan Peele movie. Um, Very, although get out is very close um, on that list too. Um, I also, I also like the themes about spectacle and um, like what it means to be a consumer of, entertainment or or whatever the spectacle is and there's also kind of an allegory about how the entertainment industry chews people up and spits them out (laughs) so yeah um definitely love this one i saw it in the theater twice and i'm probably gonna end up streaming it um on peacock this weekend yeah i've got peacock for a year and it's just sitting there and i'm like i need to i need to revisit (laughs) this movie yeah well that's number three nope Oh, my number three is also Nope. Oh, oh this is wow. my barbarian go. moment. I get to be part <laughs> of it. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, everything you said, Erica, is accurate. Um, I think there are even more themes you could probably read into. Mm-hmm. There are themes about how we um, kind of 
shield ourselves from the horrors of our daily lives, mm-hmm. um, how we take for granted not not good things, but also the the bad things of life and how we just accept that that's how it is. And we don't look directly at it every day. And mm-hmm. maybe we should. That's kind of playing into what uh, is happening with this UFO in this movie. Um, I love the the filmmaking in here, the stuff with sound, mm, seeing that yes. in the theater. I'm sure you picked up on even more things seeing it twice in the theater, but just the spatial uh, communication of everything, the way sound is very soft for distant things and the way sound then is brought back like roaring into the scene when it changes really communicates how far things are. I love how the the movie communicates like how geography works. Um, it, it's just you're always on uh, the same page as like the as Jordan Peele as far as like what's going on. Like I know what's happening in this film. I'm not lost. And yeah, uh, it's a film that I went and saw with a friend and afterwards we spent like 20 or 30 minutes outside in the scorching heat outside the movie theater we didn't have to do that we could have just uh done it inside in the air-conditioned lobby but we were so entranced with the film and coming away with different things that we were like swapping observations Mm -hmm. and it didn't matter how hot it was outside because we were just so interested in talking about this movie. So it was another one of those movies where it's just fun to dissect. And I'm glad I got the chance to also appear as a guest on that episode too from this past year uh, talking about Nope. So that was fun. Well, that's Bo's number three. And now my number three is not Nope, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. Um, but mine is Banshees of Inishirin. Wow. Um, I... Really, really liked this movie. I loved. I kind of already tipped my, my or showed my hand a little bit with what my comments earlier. But um, I just loved all of the performances and the chemistry before everyone and the storytelling and being able to take this simple premise and really. Um, giving you strong characters that even though you don't know all their motivations, you really understand them as people and like how their relationships should work. And how they are working. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I kind of already shared my thoughts for it. So that's my number three, Banshees. Um, why don't we get to number two? number two? We're almost there. All right. Uh, yep. This is where I slotted in. Matt Reeves is the Batman. Wow. Go back okay. To the nice. Like, wow, as I mentioned in that episode, Kid of the 90s, Batman the Animated Series was my jam. That was me after school and collecting the cards, getting the toys, watching Mask of the Phantasm. Nice. And so a movie that is going to not only go back to the 90s in so many ways that we've previously discussed with Seven and Nirvana, but, you know, revisit the idea that harkens back to the origins of Batman being the world's greatest detective, a mm-hmm. true detective yes. story. It's almost too much of a good thing for me because, mm. yeah, this movie's got a pretty decent runtime. Uh, <laughs> but that's all right. Like, Matt Reeves, he basically made my dream slash nightmare come true with this. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, there's like, I mean, so, some of the stuff, it's like when you see it through the eyes of some of the villains and the bad guys in the movie, it's like nightmare fuel to see like Batman, especially like thinking of like the car chase and just like a tremendous like upside down shot of a character seeing Batman, like, approach him from basically a fiery hell behind him. It's just, it, it's it's good, and yeah, it's just, it really goes all in uh, for for this mood. This mm-hmm. kind of mood piece is really what it feels like. 
Not my favorite Paul Dano performance of the year. That belongs, uh, you know, at the Fablemans, a little lower on my list. Also, but... very restrained performance. <laughs> my gosh, but it does redeem. Not the a lot Riddler. of range to that guy. No, yeah. not at all. It does redeem like the Riddler for me because uh, the '90s Riddler, as embodied by Jim Carrey, was not my Riddler. So here we go. This is hashtag this is more... not my Riddler. Yeah, not my Riddler. <laughs> I stand with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and saying I cannot tolerate your buffoonery. So. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of buffoonery happening in this no. in, in the Batman. Not. So, anyways, nothing more to say that hasn't already been said. But I and now that I own it, I can watch it at my own pace and treat it kind of like the miniseries I felt like it should have been. Or something. nice. So. Yep. Well, that's number two, the Batman. Another repeat. Um, or do we have a repeat for yes. Erica's number two? Everything, everywhere, all at once. There Whoa. we go. That's our first. There we go. All four oh, of us, right? List. Yes. Wow. There you go. Um. So yeah, I I just found this like pure joy to experience. Like you could tell from the trailer that it was gonna have a lot of action sequences. I knew about like the multiverse element. I didn't expect how that that was going to play out, and that it would involve certain trophies. Um, <laughs> on Jamie Lee Curtis's <laughs> desk, but <laughs> we're all yeah, we're all talking about that. And when you rewatch it, when you see how just blatantly placed those are, you're yeah. like, oh, I see where <laughs> I see where those are coming going. in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it was also just hilarious and heartwarming. Had some like really cool like philosophical themes. Um, so yeah, um, this is one I want to see again on the big screen, and it is back on the big mm-hmm. screen yeah. for those mm-hmm. who missed it. Nice. There you go. Cool. Number two, Bo. My number two is also the Batman. Hey, oh. Wow. There yeah. we go. Oh my gosh. I love this mind meld that's happening here. So it's you great. you talked about your, you know, introduction to Batman being Batman the animated series. For me, um, I could have watched that show when I was a kid. I somehow missed it. I don't know what else I was watching. Probably like everything else on uh, Cartoon Network and yeah. uh, Nickelodeon. <laughs> there was a lot to choose from. Uh, my introduction to to Batman was through um, the Rocksteady Batman video games. So Batman oh. Arkham Asylum and Batman oh, Arkham City. Such good games. Yes. Fantastic. Those those games delve into all of the lore, all of the world of Gotham City in a way that is just so absorbing. And so around that time when I played those games, I started looking into the graphic novels. Like a lot of the, yep. the big story events of Batman, I, I bought graphic novels for like year one and the long Halloween and dark victory and the killing joke, all Mm -hmm. these, like Mm -hmm. I had a good, like pretty small collection, but more than a lot of Batman fans say that they have. Mm -hmm. I read those, absorbed them, um, loved them. Seeing the Batman this year reignited that passion for Batman for me. Um, seeing this world of Gotham city come to life, uh, in such a absorbing way that I actually continued that, passion of reading those graphic novels i have read dozens of batman graphic novels since may or or uh when was it march yeah when i saw this movie around may i started reading more graphic novels and i started delving into more of the storylines from the 80s onward Mm -hmm. and so i've read tons of batman this past year because of this movie reigniting that interest in this character in this world and it's not just batman himself it's uh, all the Batgirls, Batwoman, all mm. the Robins. I've learned Nightwing. so much about, yes, yeah. Nightwing, mm. um, the original Dick Grayson becoming Nightwing and all that stuff. So uh, there's a lot of stories that this movie has introduced me to. Um, the world of Gotham City just, yeah, again, feels so real. It feels wet. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but it just feels it's wet. It's very rainy yeah. very the rainy. whole time. Again, yeah. taking that cue from seven. From seven, yes, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, so it is just a great uh, kind of crime thriller. It's got a lot of great characters, twists and turns, action scenes. It's awesome. I, I loved the Batman. It's the other film that I rewatched this year. Nice. Also, we haven't been giving a tally for Barry Keoghan appearing multiple there times. There you go. Oh, there you go. Does that count? Yeah, that I think it does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my number two, um, we already did a pod about it earlier this year, and that is Jordan Peele's Nope. Um, that's my, I was one off guys. I'm so sorry. Um, we talked about this. We did. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm not going to get too much into it because you can just listen to our previous episode about my thoughts. Um, but the first two scenes I would say of this film have stuck with me for a very long time. The, the, the silent opening essentially, or the very quiet opening. And then also the, the coin scene is what we'll call it. Um, just really, really stuck with me. Um, and just what Jordan Peele can do with sound and just the, the cinematography and all these things, you get these beautiful open landscape shots of, kind of the other side of Hollywood of Southern California. You don't get really to see that often. Um, and just great performances. Again, I feel like I talk about these performances. Um, but yeah, uh, especially Kiki Palmer just being just a bundle of energy is yeah. so great. Um, and yes, great counterbalance to, yeah, Daniel, to Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya, who is like <laughs> essentially a, sleeping. He's there. a rock. <laughs> yes. Great. And Stephen Young, all, all very great. Um, also, I love the shout out to Chris Kattan in the movie too. Oh, yeah. Not getting very much love these days. So I just, I loved it. Um, Jordan Peele still keeping his streak going of great films. Um, but that's my number two nope. Um, so let's get into number one. Hold on. You I have some? Okay. Well, I'm just, I'm trying to, I don't know if he, let me put the quotes on it coined the term bad miracle but i do i like that term (laughs) yeah i like i like that concept of a bad miracle Mm -hmm. throughout the movie and what they can represent it's introduced visually in the first shot too Mm -hmm. yeah and you don't know what it is yet and you still don't really know by the end but that theme is carried well you can look at different things that happen throughout the movie as a bad miracle like Mm -hmm. how could that wow how could that have happened that's yeah miraculous in a horrific Mm-hmm. kind of way but anyways yeah all right number one everybody uh, yeah. i was gonna say and it's that's it's the thing it's been mentioned elsewhere but for me i'm going for pure enjoyment pure pleasure here glass onion that all is right for me. glass onion as you mentioned knives out uh from a few years ago i pegged that as the movie i was most looking forward to that year up until that point i had a pretty bad track record for predicting what movies i would like sight unseen going only by like filmmakers or you know, uh, log lines, knives out lived up to it. And here again, like Ryan Johnson, he is now for me, six for six with his, <laughs> his movies. All of them have worked for me. Mm-hmm. I think he is in total control of like storytelling And here. He's create he's created a whole IP unto himself with this yeah. Benoit Blanc character. He knows exactly what he's doing. And the, the great thing about this and, you know, just him being well-versed in, you know, murder mystery, Agatha Christie, Agatha Christie, he knows that like what's going to be the most compelling thing is not like this protagonist that you think, you know, Benoit Blanc is, but the other protagonist who the story is really about mm-hmm. and really getting to the heart of it. And in this case, it's Janelle Monet. In the first one, it was Ana de Armas. And yeah, just the way he chooses to reveal things just, you know, it's it's not like a magician. It's just a great sleight of hand, really. Yep. 
is what's going mm-hmm. on here. And and he has fun with it too, where you know, we did a we did a review for Death on the Nile here. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's a murder. Perfectly mystery. fine. Yes. Nothing remarkable about it. But here, Ryan Johnson gets to put like his little touches on it. Like Daryl. Hey guys, I'm not here. Love it. Just <laughs> you know, Noah Segan, a friend of his, he puts in all of his movies. Just a nice person. Do you want to hang out? Part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Things like that. And I love. And, um, you know, other little touches like Edward Norton's character appearing in one scene in the exact outfit Tom Cruise's character wears in the movie Magnolia. Oh, Never. Like that. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. You're right. Yep. I, I'm a big fan of Magnolia. So, like, when I see, like, a black leather vest against, like, kind of a dark maroon shirt. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I'm Iconic. Like, okay, yeah. So, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just these bombastic characters. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ethan Hawke showing up as like not even credited on the dock. Did yeah, you notice that? Yeah, oh my he's gosh. on the dock. Yeah, there yeah. it is. All right, Ethan Hawke. So his, he's got how's two. his tally oh, looking? Go. Does he have two? two? Yeah. Okay. He what was the two. other one? Uh, well, Northman. the other one's the Northman, but oh. I'm, I'm holding out. Somebody's got the black phone at number one. We'll see. Here. Erica <laughs> and also yeah, Janelle <laughs> Monet. She has to do a lot in this movie, and she mm-hmm. does. She does yep. it. A hundred percent. So, and yeah, Daniel Craig, he was not born to be James Bond. He was born to be Benoit Blanc. And I'm up for all the movies he would like to do in this franchise. So awesome. All right. What's our second number one, Erica? Well, tough choice, but I had to go with a film that is about cruelty on a grand scale, basically in Thomas Ligotti's words, a conspiracy against the human race, if you will. Of course, I'm talking about the scary of 61st. No, I'm wow. not. I'm not. That is garbage. Check out no. another um, <laughs> podcast. I don't remember which well, pod I we talked about that. I think it was actually my review of that was cut out of the radio broadcast, I think, because there was no safe way to talk about the themes. <laughs> right. Very, very Jeffrey Epstein. It's, it's so cinema roundtable after dark. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that got cut except for like on your Spotify or, or whatever, the, the more podcast mm-hmm. format. Yeah. But no, don't the watch that movie. Group. It's crap. Um, anyway, so my <laughs> actual. Cut. Yeah, my actual number one pick. Um, it's uh, I'm bookending my list like had Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Nice animated film. This is also a very nice animated film. I, of course, I mean Phil Tippett's Mad God. Oh, I was wondering if that would be it. Okay. Yep. So, Which you had brought up on the last... Uh, one of the most over previous, the summer. Yeah. But yeah. I got to see that on the big screen at Alamo Draft House. And nice. now I've got Shout it out on Alamo. Blu-ray. Yeah, thank you, Alamo, for bringing these really mm-hmm. cool movies to the big screen. Um, but yeah, I had to put this at number one. It's definitely not going to appeal to everyone. It is just nightmarish. But when you consider that this film was shot over the course of 30 years, some individual scenes taking like a full three years to shoot because it's stop motion and there are just a ton of little details mm-hmm. that that had to come together. It's um, so impressive and like most of the stop motion is so fluid and lifelike. Mm-hmm. Um, which it's also funny because in the few scenes where you have some kind of live action, they make the actors a little bit herky-jerky, like they're the stop-motion characters. Nice. But, yeah, I just um, I just love how disturbing this is. There's also just so much um, – it's hideous but beautiful at the same time. So much attention to detail. You can watch it repeatedly and always notice something new with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, that's so, our second number I, one. I had a feeling not no Black one else phone. would. Yeah. I had a feeling no one else would have it's, Mad it was God a, on their list. It was a hard film to access for a long time. Like yeah, It just wasn't true. available in a lot of places. I've seen just the trailer, and the trailer is <laughs> crazy and unlike mm-hmm. anything I've seen. And that's just two minutes, so yeah, I can't yeah. imagine it's what... It's still on Shutter if you want to see the whole okay. thing. Nice. So, cool. Yeah. All right. Bo, what's number one? My number one is... Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Oh, really? This okay. Is a, this isn't a blind spot I was kind of intrigued by that, but I, I didn't get a chance to see it. Um, yeah, so I totally understand why this film is pretty offensive to a lot of Hollywood. <laughs> um, but it also celebrates Hollywood. It celebrates the good and the bad of Hollywood. It, uh, But maybe more so it celebrates the magic of filmmaking and going to the movies and watching movies more so than how they're made. There's the mm-hmm. There's the level where... The film definitely celebrates the act of watching movies, but then it digs deep into what actually goes on (laughs) in this big, like, war epic film scene with a thousand extras. And what is that actually like? And it is hell. It is Mm -hmm. hell on earth. It is monotonous and just uh, crazy and... Um, people lose their minds. People get mad and fight each other. There are fist fights. Oh, gee. And the movie covers this period of time uh, in Hollywood when things were transitioning from silent films to talkies Hmm. and how all of these filmmakers deal with that. And for some, it's a smooth transition. For many, it is the biggest tribulation of their career. And so we see that play out in this excellent cast. Um, You've got Brad Pitt. Margot Robbie, um, you could argue the lead is Diego Calva, who I haven't seen in anything else, but he's great in this film too. Um, there's a supporting cast with people like Flea. Um, he has a great little role in this film. Gene yeah. um, Smart has this scene where she dresses down another character and she just comes out of nowhere and has this amazing monologue uh, that I didn't see coming. And speaking of things you don't see coming, stuff in the third act... You, I could give you a hundred years to just sit down. If you haven't seen Babylon, I could say, okay, I'm going to let you guess for a hundred years what happens in the final act of Babylon. You could not do it. That's how crazy the last act of this movie is. Um, It's got amazing, uh, an amazing soundtrack, uh, great jazz music. Um, Of course, that's not a surprise if you've seen any of Chazelle's other movies. He definitely incorporates music and musicians into this film in a way that this transition in Hollywood impacts them, too. So I loved seeing that because I thought it was just going to be about actors. It's about sound people. It's about directors. It's about actors themselves. Um, Probably focuses foremost on the actors, but um, it's just a comprehensive look there's a descent into madness in one part of the film. Um, it, it is just so well done. It's nominated for a few things like production design. I think it earns those things. I think it also uh, deserves like acting nominations and directing and best picture. And unfortunately, that didn't happen uh, because I think it is a pretty tough film to swallow for a lot of Hollywood again. But uh, yeah, I loved Babylon and I, it's a long movie. It's over three hours. There's a lot of movie in this movie, um, but there's also a lot to dissect and pick apart and admire too. Yeah. This is number one for movies that I have not seen. Yeah. Um, That I'm looking, this is probably the one movie we were talking earlier about kind of feeling confident about 
where our list would be with the movies that we haven't seen. And this is the one that I think yeah. has the best shot of making it into my top 10. Um, so a couple years back, people really loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think that was mm-hmm. your favorite film yeah. of that year. It right, was, Jake? correct. I thoroughly, thoroughly mm-hmm. loved that movie. So that movie was like a solid six out of 10 for me. This is my Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. Okay. This is my Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right. Really, really love that movie. Well, spoiler, it's not my number one (laughs) since then. Um, It's actually Death on the Nile. It's Death on the Nile, (laughs) so thank you. (laughs) Kenneth Branagh is my favorite actor. No. Um, My number one is The Menu. Um, This was a movie that I was very I was looking forward to a lot um just given the the cast behind it and um just kind of knowing uh, one of the writers is a writer for Seth Meyers and has a comedy background so I I I love him and and all that type of stuff and this was the movie that when I finished watching it I was ready to run it back again um I just loved all of the different quirks that all these different characters have and kind of that through line that um, Anya Taylor-Joy has and just kind of playing with the characters in a way that is um, stereotypical but also not going too far and also not taking people to predictable levels um, in in my personal opinion. And um, I just also will shout out Ray Fiennes and and Hong Chow, both of them, um, as we talked about in the in the pod, the the tortillas scene. Um, <laughs> She's me, also appeared twice now. There you go. Both on your list. Both on my list. I I love her. She's fantastic. Um, also really good in downsizing. Um, oh my but gosh, that's not right. a great film. But her, her but role. she is good right. in it. She's the best part of that. Yes. Movie. Um, but but yeah, I just absolutely love this film. I'm eager to keep watching it over and over again and I think it'll stay with me for a very long time. It's just tonally exactly where I want to be and that's my number one of the year. So there we go. No shared number ones this year. I like that. Which shows, how, is shows how everybody's different. Very different. Um, but let's quickly do some honorable mentions just to shout out some other films that didn't make the list for you. Uh, you know, you mentioned long run times and there were a lot of movies just like mm-hmm. teetering over that two and a half hour mark, hitting three hours. Mm-hmm. I gave one of those my time in theaters and I wish I could have found a spot for it and that's Tar. Yeah. Um, that is also on my honorable mentions yeah, list. I really, I really did like this. A huge fan of Todd Field coming out after 16 years with his first movie. Weird thing though, like his first two movies, Little Children and In the Bedroom. I think that's more my speed with him. There are these intimate family dramas. Mm. This is like so much bigger, grander in scale, and like weightier, really, with what he's dealing with, and you know, oddly of the moment. <coughs> but. Um, yeah, I, it was it was also a little bit cold. Mm. I mean, you know, Kate Blanchett's character Lydia Tarr, she she has that uh, slight removal mm. um, effect on people and in the movie, but she's tremendous. I still really like this and what it was doing, and yeah, it it stayed with me long mm. after the fact. So honorable mention there. Top Gun Maverick also honorable mention. X love that. Talked about it way more than I thought I would. Jackass forever, <laughs> um, and yeah, Banshees of Inisherin. Uh, I wouldn't have been rowing with any of you talking about that one. And uh, Black Phone. If I could have uh, documentary, I wanted to find a place for Fire of Love. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I really, I, saw that. I really liked that movie, but it's just 
just not enough room. There you go. Yeah. Erica? <clears throat> I have a long list. Um, I'm just going to blow through them. Hatching, which you can find on Hulu. Uh, I believe it's a Finnish film. Pearl, um, On the Third Day, you can find that on Shudder. The Long Night, you can find it on Shudder. Men, which we oh. talked about and struggled through earlier this year. <laughs> the Menu. The Sadness, which I believe I talked about in an opening segment. Terrifier 2, which had some really great elements, but it is Interesting. Okay. disqualified from my top 10 because of the horrible Clown Cafe musical number. Unnecessary. Absolutely. I, I heard it's your like review in the episode, long. and like, yeah. Yeah, you were lamenting <laughs> um, that. Yep. Yeah, Black Phone. Um, Torn Hearts, you can find that on Amazon Prime. A Wounded Fawn, um, I think is on Shudder, but I'm not positive. Deadstream on Shutter. Also, it really enjoyed the unbearable weight of massive talent. Mm. Nice. Bo? Um, I wrote down five. Um, I know that three of them strictly came out in 2022. And those, if I made like a top 13, these would be 11 through 13 mm -hmm. right now. So those are Prey, mm. um, The Northman, which was mentioned already um, in your list, Jake, right? Mm -hmm. And then The Sea Beast, which I think Jared mentioned yep. briefly. Yeah, really like The Sea Beast. Um, saw that within the past week. And that uh, deserves its animated feature nomination, Yes, I think. it does. Um, another animated feature that you could argue is a 2021 film because it originally released in small release uh, in that year is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Uh, that's the uh, film that I brought to the Nope recording and I reviewed that. on that episode, mm -hmm. yep. um, but got a wider release in the United States in uh, 2022. I wasn't sure if I should count it, so I'm no, putting no, it, it here. That's fine. Nominated for Best Animated Feature. Right. So, yeah. so yeah. there you go. Um, the other one I put down, um, this one came out, I think, in its original um, country of origin in 2021 and then released in the United States in 2022, The Worst Person in the World, which yeah. I watched on oh. Hulu, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, I think it's still available on Hulu. Yeah. yeah, that was really hard to find during last year's Oscar cycle. Because it was nominated for, yeah. for, for Best International Or International yeah, Film, yeah. For sure. I keep yeah. messing up that the new designation. <laughs> yes. but um, um, So yeah, those are the five that I wrote down. Nice. And, and my five have uh, all but one have been brought up in some capacity tonight. Um, bodies, 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 uh, Top Gun Maverick, actually Prey was one of my oh, nice. um, way better Predator sequel than it had to be again. The best one. It's it's fantastic. Um, uh, Tar, as I mentioned. And then the one that had been mentioned, it's maybe it's a soft spot, but I love the way that the direction they went with this film is weird. Um, the Weird Al Yankovic oh film. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that. Um, just the the biopic and done in the Weird Al Yankovic style where it is a parody of a biopic. Um, and I won't get into too much spoilers on that, but um, just a fun time, very goofy, over the top, um, just the way that you would expect from someone like him. So those are my honorable mentions. Um, I think we've kind of brought up a lot of our blind spots mm -hmm. for films. Um, yeah, I if it was over three hours, I probably missed it. And I'm Avatar. <laughs> I'm looking at you. Yeah, Black Panther, yeah. Wakanda Forever. Yeah. Did and, anyone and Babylon? Did anyone have any notable ones that hadn't been mentioned that I, already? I have quite a few written down. I actually have about fifteen. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Many of them have been mentioned. Some on your lists. Um, so I have some big blind spots when it comes to. Uh, the or the uh, nominated films for the Oscars yet, mm -hmm. so I haven't seen uh, After Sun, All Quiet on the Western. I'll just do them in uh, alphabetical. After Sun, All Quiet on the Western Front, Bones and All, 
which you reviewed yep. on the the menu episode. The menu episode, Jake. correct? Um, and these are all films that I think have a chance to break my top ten if I were to see them. So there are many more that I actually haven't mm-hmm. seen uh, that I won't list. So this is not exhaustive. Uh, Bones and All, Broker, Cha Cha, Real Smooth, uh, Decision to Leave, The Fablemans, Pearl, um, and X. I haven't seen either mm-hmm. of those. Those are uh, on my watch list. Uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, uh, Resurrection. Return to Soul, Tar, uh, Triangle of Sadness, The Whale, uh, The Woman King, and Women Talking. Ooh, mm. yeah. The Woman King, yeah. Viola Davis really wish she could have picked up like a nomination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just just for sheer badassery. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's the reason I want to see that movie. So, yeah. Nice. Did you have any, Erica? Um, or else? They, or you, I you wanted would... to see the, the Banshees of... In a Sheeran, Ed Sheeran. Someone had to say it. Right? I have not heard anybody say that before. <laughs> okay, that was the first but, time. Yeah, that's, but, that's um, uh, one I wanted to see in the theater, and then my schedule just didn't quite work out. But actually, I'm going to see it later with a friend this week on DVD. So that'll be there. Good. You go. Cool. Nice. And, uh, and and for me, I I kind of mentioned a lot of them. Uh, Empire of Light, though, is one that I'd like to see. I was excited um, she about said, that yeah. until like the review started hitting. I mean, I like Olivia <laughs> Coleman though. I'd like to see I her. Like Sam she Mendes always does it. Well. Yeah, um, that um, she said. Women talking. Yes, mm-hmm. um, just a lot of those films that I think. I mean, um, haven't gotten a, a, as much recognition as I think they probably should, um, but. Uh, I'll be the I'll get to weigh in, and then another one that I'm just kind of looking forward to is that I just has slipped is uh, the Pale Blue Eye, uh, the new Christian oh, yeah. Bale Christian film. Bale, yes. ah, um, okay. So those would be my my uh, honorable mentions, and also a light honorable mention is the the Good Night Mommy remake, um, just because I thoroughly enjoyed the original one. I also enjoyed the original, um, but have not seen the remake. Yeah, well, that's our top tens. Out of think- curiosity. Is there a movie any of us are really looking forward to in the yes, year ahead? Yes, I was actually wanting to ask that same question. Okay, okay. I am dying to see Infinity Pool and really looking forward to Cocaine Bear because it just looks oh my stupid gosh. and hilarious. Yes. Um, the Evil Dead Rise movie looks pretty good. So those are like the ones that are mm-hmm. kind of the top of my list. Um, one that shot to the top of my list recently because a teaser or trailer came out is... Bo is Afraid from Ari Aster. Bo is Afraid, is, yes. Uh, describes okay. my experience watching his filmography usually. <laughs> when you posted it on Facebook, <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's good. That's um, great. But I think this might be a departure from his usual formula. Hmm. It might have uh, elements of horror, but it also looks like it might mix in some other ideas. This too, is also so. from the guy who said Hereditary is not a horror film. So Yeah, he said it's a family <laughs> yeah. drama or something like yeah. that. But, so, um, And then just kind of the big action stuff. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Universe, or yeah. Multiverse. What is yep. it called? Uh, uh, across, across the, the Spider Verse. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting my words mixed up. Um, Mich- this one's crazy. Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, the most insane movie title. Yes. Um, With apparently the most insane stunt that oh, Tom Cruise really? has performed yet. So I'm just curious for that reason. Um, Oppenheimer. Oh yeah. Um, let's see. Miyazaki's return to directing with How Do You Live is going to happen this year. That's kind of exciting. And then Dune Part Two. I'm kind of excited to see. Denis Villeneuve's follow-up to the first part that everybody loved, uh, as well as John Wick Chapter 4. Sorry, were we supposed to pick one? Yeah. I did not follow the directions. I'm sorry. That is totally it's an fine. open-ended question. Uh, yeah, I, uh, Oppenheimer is one that I'm really looking forward to. I'm hoping that Next Goal Wins finally comes out this oh. this year. Oh, I don't think Remind I know what that is. It's the that. New, 
it's the new Taika Waititi film yes, um, about the American Samoa uh, soccer team it's and them trying to Thor, get. Thunder. Yeah, trying this is to the get. First time hearing about it. Yes, yeah. uh, it's been delayed. I think two years maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I'm looking forward to Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, the new Martin Scorsese film, um, which I just saw a trailer or no, I, I have been kind of seeing things pop up from time to time, but it's still kind of vague, but I'm anytime he has a film coming out, I'm always looking forward to it. Um, but those are probably my, my biggest ones and Dune, Dune part two, um, as well. But, but yeah, I think this was a good year though, overall, um, good lists, um, a lot of diversity, especially at the. 10 to 6 range. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we haven't really discussed what our next episode will be about, so it might be up in the air. You'll have to just wait and see. It's a mystery. Um, but until then, we'll see you at the movies. This episode was recorded in the studios of KZUM 89.3 FM in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find out more about KZUM and listen to more episodes of Cinema Roundtable by visiting kzum.org. Our theme music was composed by Joshua Spaulding. 